Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going.
our very first guest, who is uh, Tammy Meyer. She is a wife. She's a mom. She's a wonderful lady. She's been married for 26 years, has written a couple books. Uh, She's a Bible study teacher as well as she speaks at women's events. And I'm excited right now to welcome you, Tammy. Hello, Marnie. Thank you so much for allowing me the privilege of joining you today to encourage and equip wives. Marnie, I appreciate your heart for marriage. That is so important. Oh, Oh, thank you. And I'm holding your book called Radiant Secrets to Thriving in Marriage. And I have to tell you, Tammy, that as I was reading through this, some of the word pictures that you use are just, um, well, they they change how I think. And I love this book. You guys got to check this out, Radiant Secrets to Thriving in Marriage. I want to just share one of the analogies, uh, word pictures that you used, and then we're going to dive right into your four specialities of gorgeous life. But in your book, Tammy, you talk about, you know, what do you do when only one of you, uh, you're the only one that's trying. So yeah. you found this picture that you're, you're back to back with your husband. You're just at odds with this man. And even if you turn around, you're still just facing his back, and it feels really right. hopeless there. <laughs> and you're worried, yes. but, there, but there's another alternative here. You can actually oh. walk all the way around your husband and look at him on the other side. And when I read that word picture, and you have other ones in your book, too, that were just as aha for me, it was like, right, right. Sometimes it feels really hopeless. Like you're the only one trying, but actually right. if you will just keep on persisting with Christ in your marriage, for your marriage, there is so much hope, isn't there? Absolutely. One person who is obedient to Christ can make a huge difference in her marriage. God will honor those acts of obedience. Mm. And yet so, um, um, it just makes sense to us that if you're back to back, it's going to take two people to fix it. And we don't even bother to question that. But the truth is, like you just explained in that picture, one person can make the effort that really makes a difference. Yeah, it's so critical that we understand that even if we're the only one trying right at this moment, that it's worth trying. (laughs) It's worth keeping on going. And it's more than just trying. It's really partnering with God to... It is bring restoration to what he values. He values marriage very highly. And Tammy, for the next 20 minutes, we're going to talk about the four specialities of a gorgeous wife. Well, first of all, tell us what a gorgeous wife looks like. <laughs> well, I think as we go through the, those four specialities, but I think we're building on a real basic truth that comes from Scripture because we learn from Ephesians that Christ, who is the the model bridegroom, his goal is to make his bride radiant. So we know that that is God's heart for the the bride, to be radiant, to be gorgeous. And actually, it does all start with God, because we have been created in his image. And God himself is beauty. And so these specialties that we are really focusing on are actually God's specialties. And that's why when we focus on these, um, husbands are drawn not only to their wives, but also to God. And that that is exactly what we want, isn't it? We want our husbands to um, be drawn to us in the marriage, but also to be drawn to God. And if we trust God, who is 
trustworthy in his design of marriage and the way he shares it with us in scripture. If we will trust him, uh, this is where he's taking us. So what is the first speciality of a gorgeous wife? Well, the first specialty is to be Azer. Now, Azer is actually a Hebrew word. That's the word we find in the creation account in Genesis when God made Eve to be a helper, an Azer, for Adam. And the reason I use the word Azer, the Hebrew word, instead of the English word helper, is because so often there's a lot of negative baggage that has been attached to that word helper. And sometimes women feel that, oh, that's very second class, that's... uh, demeaning, but that is so not true. So that's why I like to use the word azer and then to share what that word really means. What azer means is someone who rescues. The word azer is actually an incredible honor. It is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to God. Now it's used twice in Genesis talking about Eve, but throughout scripture elsewhere it's used of God. It is one who rescues, and it's usually used with warrior imagery. To be azer means to bring strength. It can be translated as strength. In fact, it is in the Psalms. So when God made Eve to be the helper, to be azer, he was making her to be a strength to Adam. There is nothing passive or weak about this word azer. To be Azer as wives means that we bring our strength to serve our husbands. We don't bring our strength to dominate or to control or to put them down. We do that sometimes. That's a misuse. But uh, to be a true Azer is to bring our strength to build our husbands up, to bring our strength to make our husbands strong. We use our strength to fight for our husbands and to fight on their behalf. So that's a a great starting point on Azer. And actually, under each of these four specialties, we can carry two other words. So strength would be the first word that I would add to Azer. But the second word that goes along with Azer is supplying. Because part of being Azer is to supply to our husband's what they cannot supply to themselves. That means that we, as wives, as women, we bring something new to the table. I don't know if you uh, had this kind of misconception or this distortion in your thinking, Marnie, but um, I did. I had, because of my culture and my generation, I felt like what the Bible taught about marriage um, seemed kind of offensive. And so it's been so incredible to me to learn what God is really saying. And sometimes people think that to be the helper means you do what the husband could do, but he just doesn't want to. <laughs> That's what the helper has to do. But no, what, this, what we learn in the word azer is that God calls us to do, to supply what the husband cannot supply to himself. I probably should backtrack and say God does often call us to do those things that uh, maybe a husband could do and we don't want to do, but that's not in the word azer. But going back to supply, uh, what are some things that we supply to our husbands that they cannot supply to themselves? 
I would suggest real quickly four things, and that is confidence, companionship, close intimacy, and confirmation of masculinity. Those are all things that a husband cannot supply to himself. And as wives, we can take that seriously to bring our strength to these areas and to to supply these things to our husbands. So to be Azer means that we specialize in giving supportive strength and in supplying what is lacking. Mm, that's beautiful. When I first saw Azer on your list of the four things, I was thinking maybe it was a spelling, a typo, and it should have been easy. <laughs> easier. Oh. <laughs> but this is much better uh. than just being easier. <laughs> being Azer. You know, one of the things that really struck me a couple years ago, I had been... Um, doing a word study and realize that that word helper is exactly what the Holy Spirit, it's the same exact word that God gives the Holy Spirit as a helper to me. That's how I'm supposed to be a helper to David. All of a sudden, it really mm-hmm. changed my perspective from being, like you say, something that's subordinate or something that's kind of demeaning to going, oh, my goodness, the Holy Spirit helps me. I could at least, you know, be helpful to Dave in that same you know, reciprocation in a same loving thank you way to God in that way. Well, so the second thing, the second thing that we are to be, the speciality of a gorgeous wife is to be Eve. What is that? Yes, the second calling is to be Eve. Now, in Hebrew, Eve means life. And I think God has given us a, another very noble calling to reflect the actions of God himself, the creator, who breathed life into us. And as wives, we can, in a way, breathe life into the souls of our husbands. We are to be life givers to them. And we do that when we bring energy to our husbands. Instead of draining them, we give them energy. And we nurture what is healthy instead of what is toxic. And again, let me give you two words that go along with Eve, like we did with Azer. And the first real practical way in being Eve is with our words. We give energy through our words. We use words of affirmation, admiration, and affection, and appreciation. And remember those scriptures from the Proverbs that say, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And a gentle, wholesome, healing tongue is a tree of life. So as the Holy Spirit helps us to use these words of life, we can bring energy and health, life, to our husbands. The second thing is not only our words do we give, do we use to bring life to our husbands, but we can give our husbands the very oxygen that their souls live on. And you know what that is, Marnie? That is respect. Something that um, you you can take a whole program and talk about that. But um, to bring to our husbands unconditional respect through not only our words but also our body language and our actions. To give our husbands the gift of sincere respect is incredibly life-giving. Now, probably everyone's husband has some behaviors that the wife does not respect, but that is not the point because God uh, is certainly not calling us to honor bad behavior, but always, 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 A wife can respect her husband as the immortal spirit made in the image of God that he is. A wife can always respect that her husband is a man 
created to reveal God, a man designed for greatness and for strength. So there's a whole lot just right there in God's creation of a man that a wife can always respect. So to be Eve in giving life means that we specialize in life-giving words and in life-giving respect. Uh, I love that. And I know a friend had one time told me, too, that um, if your spouse, if your husband is a Christian, that you can also always respect the Holy Spirit inside of him. And mm. uh, that, that was really helpful for me, too, because sometimes it's difficult to respect the words they're saying or what they're choosing to do. But that really isn't the underlying issue. The underlying issue is will you join with God and respect that they are a person, that they're in a position of authority in your life and that they've been placed there by God. Uh, Right. And it takes having eyes that God gives us to see the spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The next one is to be fragrant. (laughs) And I suppose you're not only talking about wearing perfume. Oh, (laughs) yes, you could do that. But you're right. That's not what I had in mind. (laughs) But Marnie, I know you are an amazing chef. And so I would ask you, when your kitchen at home is full of delicious aromas, what do all the people in your house do? They come to the kitchen, don't they? <laughs> it, is, it is a magnet, yep. You don't have to command them to go to the kitchen and come and push them. When that kitchen is full of this amazing aroma, they come. Or when we see a gorgeous gardenia or a jasmine blossom, what do we do? We just naturally lean in. We lean in because there is a fragrance, and fragrance and delicious aromas are invitations. Fragrance is a very powerful invitation, and I love that God has given wives the power of invitation, which draws and attracts, just like a fragrance or an aroma invites us to lean in or come closer. Now, we know, we're familiar with the power of authority. Now, that has the power of command and the power of push, so to speak. But the power of invitation or fragrance draws in and attracts. Uh, I have come across some who study these different powers, if we want to use that word, and um, I've read some who say that this power of influence is actually greater than the power of authority. Now, I don't want to say that, but I do want to make the point that uh, if we think God has given women an inferior gift and so we despise it, I think we are very badly and sadly mistaken. That God has given women this power of fragrance that we need to appreciate and learn how to use it well. It's the power of invitation. In 1 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter tells us wives exactly how to be fragrant to our husbands and how to create invitation. And the first of the two ways is to live pure and reverent lives. Now, this is something that happens when we are devoted to Christ, when we are yielded to the Spirit of God. This is actually the response of our spirits to God. It really has nothing to do with the people around us. It's not a direct response to our husbands or our marriage at all. It's a response to God. But our husbands see it. Others see it. And the amazing thing is 
according to 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands are won over without words. They are drawn, they are captivated by this type of fragrance that invites. And that is not natural to us, uh, especially if we have fear. If we are, we are fearful that we do not have a beauty that is going to be able to hold our husband. We, we are fearful that we're not able to control this marriage. We're just so often motivated by fear more than we realize. Fear will destroy our beauty. But when we, and it makes us want to put our hands on the situation and grab and control. But when we trust what God says, which says, no, we are the inviters not the pushers and manipulators. And uh, we live in this way. God says this is the captivating fragrance. So I said there were two ways. One was the pure and reverent life. The second one is a gentle and quiet spirit. And we find that in 1 Peter 3, verse 4. And I find that this gentle and quiet spirit is a key ingredient in the gorgeous wife. Uh, What does it mean to be gentle. Well, Marnie, if I handed you a bowl, or it could be anything, but if I hand you a bowl and I say, Marnie, this bowl is worth over a million dollars, not only is it worth over a million dollars, but boy, is it fragile, very, very fragile. And if I put that bowl in your hands, I'd say you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess you would be gentle with it, wouldn't you? I wouldn't have to say. <laughs> Just like you don't have to tell people to go to the kitchen when your bread is baking, when you tell somebody that something is valuable and breakable, you are naturally gentle with it. That's how we respond. And when we believe that the spirit of our husbands is very valuable and also breakable, we will naturally be gentle. We forget that. We forget that our husbands are priceless. We forget that they are breakable. Sometimes women think a man should be able, if he's worth his salt, he should be able to handle anything she can throw at him. But that's why we're not gentle. The truth is, according to Scripture, that our, the spirits of our husbands are priceless, and they are breakable. And as we are mindful of that, are very deliberate in being conscious of that, then we will be gentle in the way God wants us to. God wants us to always be in awe of who God made our husbands to be. Mm. Love that. And it is so important. (laughs) It's so important for us to be gentle. Uh, Um, They they really are uh, fragile. seems like such an odd word to use with a man. But honestly, their feelings and their egos, the way that God built them, they really do need us to be encouraging and loving and respectful. And Tammy, that just moves us into this. Yeah, this moves us into great harm. Yeah, this last point about being feminine, and um, there are some serious differences between males and females, obviously, but when it comes to being a gorgeous wife, there are some ways that we can really um, improve. <laughs> improve oh, what we yes. Get. Yes. And Marnie, let me just add a note back. We talked about a gentle and quiet spirit without mentioning quiet. Uh, And I just want to make the note there that quiet does not really mean that you're a person that doesn't talk much. Although the Bible does 
things to say about that too, doesn't it? But the word quiet here means serenity and tranquility. So to have a gentle and quiet spirit means that we have an inner core of peace within our spirits. Instead of being frantic and fretful and agitated, there is stillness in the core of our being. And that happens because we can rest in the love of Christ and trusting Christ. And I think it's so cool that God says that this kind of spirit is precious to him. And the same Greek word there for precious is also used in the story in Mark about the woman who poured expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus, saying that that perfume was precious. So there's that idea of fragrance, uh, even coming out in these words here, that the gentle, quiet spirit um, is a fragrance that draws a husband a wife is like a a magnet, not not a whip. So we specialize in a gentle, quiet spirit. And yes, well, then the fourth one is it's yeah, to be a feminine. Three minutes, Tammy. So I want you to be sure to get this fourth one in here. Okay, I think this is fascinating. That not only uh, are we female animals are male or female but we are so much more than that we are actually feminine and that is a attribute of god god is both masculine and feminine in relationship because within the godhead god encompasses relationship so the key words with being feminine it's a response to our husbands is that not only are we inviting and fragrant but we specialize in welcoming we welcome our husbands. Uh, we receive them with warm welcome. Physically, yes, but most of all in our souls. So that whenever our husbands come into our presence, we want them to sense that they are being received with an open, welcoming spirit. Uh, that is what it is to be feminine, to be welcoming, and to offer this genuine, deep acceptance of who our husbands are in their core, in their God-created spirits. So to be feminine is to specialize in welcoming and in acceptance. Wow, that is beautiful, and I've never really heard it put that way before. I think about when I welcome guests in my home, if I have a guest of hospitality, they, you know, I set everything up just so and, you know, have everything ready and the house all clean and I want them to feel welcome. And how you described this here being feminine is just uh, taking that much care of his heart um, when he comes, does he feel welcome? That's, that's a challenge to me that I have never heard before. Uh, yes, well, when Adam... Sure. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say that when Adam was alone, he was male. But when Eve was with him, he could be masculine. Those two things are parts of relationship. A husband is designed to pursue the beloved, to move toward her, to know her, and to serve her. And so then the wife, in being feminine, receives that and welcomes welcomes him warmly. And uh, that is such an awesome gift to our husbands when, when the Spirit of God helps us to do that. Oh, so awesome. Well, this is Marnie Sledberg. We're visiting today with Tammy Meyer. She's the author of Radiance, Secrets to Thriving in Marriage. Tammy, this book is uh, set up that you can do it individually. You can do it with a group. There's uh, questions in the back if you want to lead a group to this book, and I highly recommend it. It's full of uh, really profound, I, I, I just think, I was talking to my pastor's wife about it 
as I was uh, previewing it, and it's just full of profound word pictures. It's a, it's a nine-week uh, study, and it just is full of things that can really radically change your perspective on marriage. Thank you for writing it, Tammy. Thank you for being here to share today. Thank you, Marnie. God bless you.
welcome to you. We've got listeners from all over the world here today. And so excited to have you along. And guess what? Right now, we get to introduce our next guest, who is Julie Gorman. And if you're not familiar with um, Greg and Julie Gorman, you want to check them out. JulieGorman.com is an easy way to get a hold of her. She's authored, authored several books. And this one that we're going to be talking about and sharing and giving a couple away today is called What I Wish My Mother Had Told Me About Marriage. <laughs> great title, great book. And uh, again, this is a great one. You can go through by yourself or with a group. Uh, lots of great questions in here. Um, verses to consider, things for reflection, practical applications, lots of great stuff in this book. And Julie's here right now to share with us the 10 secrets every wife must know. Welcome to you, Julie. Oh, Marty, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for hosting this. Wow, great information from Tammy, too. So I'm being blessed already. Oh, I know it. And you know what? We can always use this. I know there's some um, some feedback had been to me that, you know, I didn't, they, they weren't sure that their marriage was in crisis, so they should come. I'm like, come, <laughs> because let's make sure your marriage doesn't get into crisis, right? <laughs> That's just it. That's it. You know, if people read the title and they think in, instantly what I wish my mother had told me about marriage. They think it's for people who have made, just getting ready to say I do. But we have people who are celebrating their golden anniversary, and they're like, oh, my goodness, this book is just not just a, a book about marriage. It's a book about every relationship. And so they're they're learning from it. They're gleaning from it. And, wow, it's a lot of fun. It was fun to write it with my husband, too. You know, and, and okay, so everybody listening, and you haven't probably read the book yet, some of you, and I just want to tell you that um, this girl who just said fun to write it with my husband, this Julie Gorman that you're listening to, the first sentence in the first chapter says, I'd already been through one divorce. I couldn't believe I was contemplating another. Okay, Julie, so here you are now. Oh, what fun to write a book with my husband and to have this ministry. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it wasn't always so pretty. It was not always so pretty. And, you know, the, the very first principle that we shared together is the foundation for every other secret that we share in the book. And that simply is that the key to experience a thriving marriage is our complete surrender to God. And, Marnie, we know as Christians, um, we say that word surrender. Yeah, I surrender all. We sing the hymns. But really what I realized is that God was bringing me to a place where the pain of staying the same exceeded the pain of change. And it wasn't until I got to that place that I really understood what God was saying about that word surrender. And I think the beautiful thing about what you share in your book is you you help women get there before maybe they hit that rock bottom place. It's it's steps to being transformed. Oh, Lord and, willing, yeah. Let's yeah, right, before right. we get to that. <laughs> you know, so let me let me take it you know back a few years because if if you saw my husband and I now, man, we are head over heels in love. We just came back from a marriage conference in Colorado and. People were laughing, people were crying, and, and it was just a really great time. And I just look back from where where I was at that place, literally falling prostrate on the floor saying, God, I went through one divorce. I don't want to go through another. And it was so unbeknownst to me. You know, I'm complaining to God. I'm giving him a what for, how my husband's all in the wrong. And, and really at that place of just absolute sheer brokenness. And that's when I prayed out, God, change me, change him. I don't care who's right anymore, right? I just, just was at that place. And God so tenderly 
um, in these one-liner moments. Now, it wasn't audible. I wish he spoke to me audibly, Marty, because it'd make it so much easier. But mm-hmm. it, it was in that place that what he did is he whispered to me, quit being Greg's Holy Spirit. And we heard Tammy talk about Ezar and how that means helper. And it certainly attributes back to, you know, the same key word that's used of the Holy Spirit in our life as helper. But there's a small H <laughs> and not a capital H. And really what I was trying to do is so micromanage Greg that I didn't trust him. I was brought up in a severely dysfunctional family. And all of that to say I was trying to create this bubble-wrapped universe where I couldn't get hurt anymore. And I think that sometimes when we enter into relationships, um, we are so desperate and so needy. And, and the thing that God showed me, not only in this book, but also in the other book where I wish my mother told me about men, is that it's not until Christ is first and foremost Right? It's not until he is our first, our last, we know firmly who he says we are and we understand that he loves us passionately, that we're ready even to begin to love someone else. And in that place, again, that night, and I'll condense this because we've got 10 points to get to, but, but I, I felt prostrate. And as the Holy Spirit whispered to my soul to quit being Greg's Holy Spirit, really what he was inviting to me was, will you trust me, Julie? Will you surrender your husband to me? Let me change in you the things that need to be changed. And entrust Greg to me. And let me be your defender. Let me be the one who protects you. And one more thought. In 1 Peter 3, and and we were talking about that quiet, gentle spirit with Tammy. You know, right before that, I love in 1 Peter 2, it says, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands. Um, or wives likewise, likewise submit. And if we go from that First Peter 3 back to First Peter 2, 21 through 25, really right before there is the whole suffering of Christ and how Christ didn't retaliate. He humbled himself. And that night what God was asking me to do was to love Greg as he had loved me. And that means that we have to love with complete forgiveness, acceptance, and grace. Yeah, and I think the only way we can really honestly do that is to yield ourselves to God and just let him love through us. I mean, I've even, even just started, you know, Tammy was talking about at the end being specializing in welcoming. And I just started this this last week. Even when I'm pulling into the driveway or even when I'm hearing him come through the door, I'm sending him love from wherever I am, just in the car. Mm. I just think, I just think, I just send that man love right now. I just send him love right now. Of course, I did tell him that, you know, I've just read six wonderful marriage books. If I'm not the perfect wife by the end of this one, then. There's just not any, there's not any hope, is there? No, I know, I know. And I told him, I said, but you know what God has to work with? It's not real helpful here. So, no, this oh, is I love it. I love it. You know, but, but what you what you said is so true, and, and what I share with women is, you know, it, our surrender, our genuine, when we really truly surrender, what we're doing is we're inviting the limitless power of God to show up and show off in our lives and our marriages. You know, it's it's not so it's, so not, it's not self-will. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So critical. Well, we do want to get through all ten of these, Julie, so I'm going to let you just run with it. Can you just give us about five, right, just back to back? All right, let's do it. Uh, the second thing that they're going to find uh, throughout. Um, and so the second key is forgive as God forgave you. And again, we know this. 
Uh, but again, what, what we need to do is, as we were just talking about, Marnie, is allow the Holy Spirit to forgive through us. And I just want to make one thought right here. You see, so often what happens in a marriage is we begin to focus on our spouse as the enemy. And it goes right along with uh, the third point, which is don't shift the blame. Take responsibility for your own actions. The fourth is to resist the devil's lies. And all of these, again, are foundational truths that we know as Christians, but sometimes forget to remember them in our marriage. And so we think that we've forgiven um, or we, we begin to start keeping that scorecard of, well, he's not or she didn't, and, and, and that invites so much disappointment. And so the second, again, is forgive as God forgave you. The third is don't shift the blame. Take responsibility for your own actions. And the fourth is resist the devil's lies. And all of that put together is to remember that there is a true enemy of our soul. And sometimes we see that enemy and we, we put that on our husband's face or we, we begin to superimpose our disappointments on them and we forget of who's really behind all of the dis, you know, contention or the dissension in our, our marriages. And so, again, what we're asking God to do is for him to superimpose his character on our character. When we surrender, we invite his ability uh, to love, to forgive. Um, I have to tell this one short story. I was standing by my father's casket a couple years ago, and I shared at the beginning as we were talking that um, I was brought up in a very dysfunctional, every abuse was present, emotional, physical, sexual abuse. And God gave me the most beautiful picture of forgiveness, Marnie. And as I was standing there looking at this man who had become very estranged, God gave me a picture of my son's face. And again, it was just kind of in my mind's eye, but I immediately pictured my son Joshua. And what I realized in that moment is that my father at one point certainly had higher aspirations than to physically, sexually, and mentally abuse me. Um, Certainly as a young boy, he had greater hopes than that. And so in that single instance, what I realized is that somewhere in my father's life, brokenness got spilled out on him. And that brokenness spilled out into my life. And so when I enter into relationships, God helps me to see now with such a deeper sense of a lens of grace because the the truth is is that the, the real enemy is the one who causes all that brokenness. And so I'm able to forgive from a greater point now of um, just realizing, look, if, if my husband does something, he's just another human being just like me trying to figure it out. He's made in God's image. He's not the enemy. And so I think those are important secrets to know. Oh, so important. And I think it is like as long as we're looking at this other person to fulfill our, you know, to meet our needs, to be this wonderful, perfect person, we are going to be disillusioned with that. We are going to be disappointed with that because they truly are just another wounded person just like us. Um, They simply can't be our God. Right. I love how Neil T. Anderson says in his book, um, Overcoming Darkness, that when we enter into a relationship, we have to have that on the same basis that God bases his, the same criteria that God bases his relationship with us, which is love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Critical. Right. right. And that really goes into the fifth, the fifth secret that we've got to know. All right. Should we do it? Yeah. Let's, 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 let's let the ladies know. <laughs> uh, the fifth <laughs> one is understand that the origin of one another's expectations, um, what, where those come from, and then work to cultivate realistic expectations together. I think it's so 
see, you know, we, as young girls, we're, we're so bombarded with this. Um, we, we either see men as these bumbling, baffling idiots, right, that their greatest aspiration is the remote control. Um, or we see them as these suave, debonair people that are going to come in and sweep us off of our feet. And what we don't realize that when you enter into a relationship, conflicts are inevitable, right, Re- regardless of the offense, because of that intimate nature that we share as a husband and wife, the question isn't whether we need to forgive or not, it's whether we're going to. And for Greg and I, a lot of our origin of frustration really was in the area of expectations. Um, he grew up uh, in a very traditional, uh, guys did guy things, women did women things. Well, I also was raised in a family where the wife did everything. And what I what I did learn is I vowed across my heart that I would never be um, like my mother. And so that, if you can imagine, Greg wanted to be carefree going, and I was always stuck with the kids, and a lot of resentment built up through those things. And it's not just, you know, everybody has expectations. And so instead of fighting about those things, begin to try to understand, come to a place of listening, of um, listening for understanding instead of accusation. I think one of the greatest breakthroughs is when I began to just bless Greg, honor him, respect him, um, under, and, and try to come to this place of understanding him instead of um, coming to him expecting to be understood. And it was beautiful because as I did that, as you can imagine, he reciprocated. It, it's so, it, it always astounds me. You know, and I hate the, <laughs> I really hate the phrase, Lord change me, but I love it. And it's amazing when I take responsibility for me, how much he changes. <laughs> Why <Yeah>. is that? <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Yep. One person yep. can really make a huge difference in the relationship well, and, yeah. Person. And being intentional and, and being accountable for yourself, you know, that's one of the reasons why we put so many different layers in the book. And um, we have areas like questions to ask because, again, uh, we all have expectations, right? And oftentimes expectations remain unmentioned because we don't even know. We're not aware of what we've adopted as normal. And so we have all these conflicts in marriage we don't understand where they're coming from. And it can be something as simple as, you know, taking out the trash. One couple was, I remember, they were just contentious about this. And there was this big to-do about who was going to take out the trash. And as they began to talk about it, what they realized is in the wife's family, the husband took it out. And in the husband's family, the wife took it out. And so there's this silly arguments of going over something as silly as the trash. And when they realized look, there's not a right or a wrong. Let's just come to this place of understanding. And so one of the things we did in our book that was fun, like, and you you brought that out at the beginning, we have questions to ask. And so um, we have in there where couples can come together and begin to say, okay, describe your household. What was it like? You know, um, what did your mom do? What did your, 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 your father do? Were both of the parents in the home? Did they have specific gender, you know, chores and, and you wouldn't, it's been amazing. It was probably about seven years into our marriage that we started talking about our family heritage. And when we started looking into it, it was like, well, no wonder why we had so many knockout drag <laughs> We just had had these expectations that were just, um, we had to come to a point of understanding. Well, right. And, and it's so interesting, too. Uh, there's not only the origins, which is a big deal. And by the way, you guys, when I went to the questions, I just did them by myself, and I was able to just look at, like, Dave's family without him even helping me. I could just look at it. 
But this garbage one is kind of funny because his dad always did take out the garbage, but Dave's just not the kind of guy that does take out the garbage. He's not that kind of guy. He, he usually doesn't take out the garbage. And But he'll he'll open the garage door for me and watch me take out the garbage. <laughs> so, you know, you just, have, you, just have to, you just have to say, well, who are you, honey? Who are you? And who can I be to you? And it's really no big deal. I mean, how hard is it really to take out the trash? It's just not only a man that can do that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have these expectations, and as long as we're going to make a big deal out of it, oh, they can be a big deal. But, mm-hmm. you know, let's, right. let's just not make a big deal out of it. Let's say, what can I do? Well, I'm so curious to hear the last five. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. So let's, since we're kind of in a time crunch, should we, should we move on, you think? Yep, Absolutely. All right, so number six, control your tongue by allowing God to tame your heart. This so uh, resonated with me. Again, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? And I remember one time um, God used a situation with a boss. And what happened, Marty, is I was working for a Fortune 500 company, working for a guy who had a lot of verbal praise. He was, you know, easy to work for in that way. He also really enjoyed taking all the credit for all the work that I did. And I remember one day, it was kind of in the heat of the moment when Greg and I were just not doing so well in our marriage. And my boss had did the, the typical taking credit for everything. And what I realized is I didn't feel the need to let him know all the ways that he frustrated me. And I didn't feel the need to demean him to other coworkers. And I learned the ability to be able to honor the position that he had because he was my boss, right? It was my job to make him look good. And I didn't have trouble doing that because in my heart, I never meditated on anything else but that of making him look good. And if I did get frustrated, it'd be kind of, I'd vent a little bit to Greg and then it would be over and I would go on because it was my job to do that. And one particular day, I remember again, kind of those one-liner fingers like God does in my mind. God challenged me and said, Julie, if you can do this for a man who has no other bearing on your eternity, your soul, your emotions, or anything other than just your job, how much more can you do this for the man that I've entrusted to you as your husband, as your soulmate? And so all that to say, I think that one of the things that's so important is we gravitate towards what we contemplate. And so we have to take thought of what we're holding on into our head because what we think about day to day gets into our heart. And as it festers down in there, eventually it will erupt outside. And then we're going to be like James, it's that that small thing that so, you know, steers a a big ship, right? (laughs) And so controlling our tongue. Um, is really beginning where we tame our hearts and we give respect and we honor our spouse. And you said this back when Tammy was speaking. You know, it's it's really what we do as wives is we love our spouses on whether they merit it or not. We do our work as unto the Lord because God is always worthy. And that's where our love relationship with Jesus and our uh, personal devotion time it's when we're so saturated with his spirit, so filled with his love, and so confident that he is our defender, that we're able to reciprocate and allow him to love our spouse through through his ability. Amen? Yeah. Are you still there, Marnie? 
Yep, yep. I said I love that. Just love it. I thought oh, that keep me awake. <laughs> I thought I loved it. I thought, boy, did I get on oh, a rant no. or what? <laughs> oh, no, that was awesome. That was awesome. You know what, actually, it's, it's so, I, I love how you said control your tongue while God calms your heart because, honestly, sometimes it is like a raging fire. You really do sure. want to say something, and it's really okay not to say everything that comes to your head. <laughs> oh, yeah. I realized, you know what? I don't have to speak every emotion. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's really kind of helpful not to. <laughs> it's very okay. helpful not to. Number seven. All right. So live intentionally to stay connected. You know, this is, um, I think, we give and give and give as women. We give to our kids. We give in our workplace. You know, we give to our communities, our church. And so often when we come back into the home, it's in marriage especially, it's the one place that we think, okay, this is the place that I can get served, right? And so it's so important to stay connected, to make sure that when we come into a relationship, what what has helped Greg and I is there are times when I'll pretend that it's our first date. You know, there are times like uh, maybe I might be very tired and I'll stop in the driveway and I'll, I'll literally think, okay, I'm getting ready to come in and see my husband. You know, coming in from a, a weekend event of speaking at a church and pour it out to women. Now I'm at home with the person who matters the most. And I want to live intentionally to find out who he is, what's going on in his life, how is he feeling, what are his dreams and aspirations. And you know what? Those conversations can really shift to the wayside, especially once we have children and we have jobs, and we have mortgages, and all of those things. And so asking critical and, and pivotal questions and getting to know and, and looking at our spouse as if he's uh, literally a gift to unwrap, right? The layers and layers and facets of his soul to find out who he is and then to come alongside him and, again, help him to become all that God intended him to be. So we have all kinds of tips and tricks and, and things, questions to ask, uh, we we do something on Facebook where they just do Facebook.com and, and then they put the, the title of the book, What I Wish My Mother Told Me About Marriage, and we put daily practices to live intentionally to stay connected. And you guys can link to all that but over at juliegorman.com. When you were talking, Julie, I was thinking about the wives who – I often hear wives say, he just doesn't seem like he's all that deep, you know. And um, yeah. I just like – I like to remember I, – I like to remind wives that girls, we are like a – ball of wire, everything's interconnected, and you touch one topic and you've touched them all <laughs> somehow. <laughs> but guys, guys are like individual compartments. That's how they are. And if you find him right. shallow, just jump into another compartment. He's got plenty there. He just doesn't connect it all the way you do. He's not at all shallow. He's just not going to connect things the way you do. So don't don't give up like there's, you know, you've, you've discovered everything about him. Well, maybe you've exhausted that one little box, but there's like mm-hmm. thousands of boxes, and he's amazing. So keep digging. And I love the word intentionality. I always, I always say with God that we have to bring him into our conscious awareness. Of course, he's always there, but most of the mm-hmm. time we're not aware of it because we're busy thinking about other things. And what you're telling us is with our husbands, bring him into our conscious awareness. Let us, you know, do that. You know, we only have like 
two minutes left here, so let's just whip through these last three, and people can get the book okay. and drive deeper. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they're going to find all kinds of fun stories. So if they pick up a copy of the book, they'll get the, the whole reason for number the eight. God wants you to say, right? yeah. <laughs> God wants you to say yes to your spouse, to love them body, mind, and soul. And there's a whole, boy, if they want transparent, they're going to find out things about me in that book because I tell about a time where Greg looked at me and said, you 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 always said yes, or you've always said, you've never said no, but you've never said yes. So you'll have to find out more about that story there. But God wants us to say yes to our spouse and to love them, body, mind, and soul. Number nine, fight for them, not with them. And then finally, number 10, you get what you expect. So believe for the best. I love how Ralph Waldo Emerson says, every man deserves to be remembered by his best moments. If we truly gravitate towards what we contemplate, Marnie, then what we think about on any given day is so vital, so critical to the life of our marriage. And so I encourage women to take that mental inventory. What are you thinking about? Believe for the best. Believe, find that one quality that you can totally respect. Hone in on that. Because, again, as a man thinks, Scripture says, so he is. And so it's as we think of our spouse, that's where we're going to end up. Mm, That's beautiful. That phrase, you've never said no, but you've never said yes. That just is ricocheting in my head. I can see see how that could really be, you know, that that you're saying yes, but you don't mean it all the way to your toes. And, you know, we can always tell Uh when somebody's holding back something on us. Oh, beautiful. Julie, oh, my goodness, thank you for being here. Oh, and we got through all ten, so look at you. You are a dynamite host. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> and thank you for writing this book and for all that you're doing um, out there uh, speaking and sharing with with Greg, too. And if you guys want to go check out her website, juliegorman.com, lots of great stuff over there. Thanks, Julie. Thanks so much, Marnie. God bless you.
right now I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest because Darlene Shaw is the author of Messy, Beautiful Love, Hope and Redemption for Real Life Marriages. Um, she's the creator of the Time Warp Wife blog, and she's coming to us from Canada today. So welcome to you, Darlene. Hi, thanks for having me on your show. Well, and it's so great to have you here, and I'm excited. I got your book in my hand, and I just have really enjoyed this book very much, and it's very practical. It talks about a lot of the challenges of just I'm going to just say slugging through life, slogging through life, through the ups and the downs and the shocking experiences that happen. I mean, some of the things that you talk about in here are are just like, oh, wow. Um, okay, I've never really been there, but I can potentially imagine, you know, some of the circumstances that I've had that may be similar but different. Dar- Darlene, how did you decide to, to write it down? All of well, there, it. There was a time when I just felt this, urge to um, minister to women and uh, in particular about their marriages and the problem was as you can read in the book some people say I was just stopped dead in my tracks because they soon find out when you open the book that I'm not a perfect woman and I don't have the best track record and so I remember sitting in my backyard and I just started crying and I said to my husband I don't know how I can do this. I feel like I have a calling from God to write to women and to share my story. But how can I do that when I failed so miserably myself? And my husband said, you know what? If you feel that calling, then I think you should do it. But I thought, you know what? I can't really just take my husband's word for it. I mean, that's great. I love that. But I need to also know that this is for sure what God wants me to do. So one afternoon, I'm just sitting there in my living room, and I'm typing, and I'm writing a blog post. And all of a sudden, I get this um, this strong feeling. It's like a voice in your head, you know. It's this urge, and it says, I'll write this down. And I think, God, are you talking to me? Do you want me to write something down? And I'm like listening, okay, what is it? And it says, whatever you've done and wherever you've been, my grace is sufficient for you. And I was just like, God, is this is this a message from you? I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is flip open my devotional because I need some backup here. I need to know that this is from you. And if it says my grace is sufficient for you, then I think I'm just spoken to pass out. So I grab my devotional and I flip open to the date, and that's not what it says. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's not what it says, God. But I start reading, and what God led me through is the story of Peter, and how he was so on fire for God and how he wanted to do God's work, and he was always willing to die for him. And he said, Lord, I'll just follow you. And he was always, always, I think, Jesus' best cheerleader, I would say, Peter was. You know, he was always raring to go. But then during the hours of his death, um, he denied him. And I think that that, I can't even imagine what was going through Peter's head at that time and how he had let his best friend down and his Lord. And Jesus loved him. And Jesus made him the pillar of the church, which is so just amazing because God's love is so incredible. He takes us right where we are, and he uses us. I saw this quote this um, past week that says, God can hit a bullseye with a a crooked arrow, I think it is. I think that's what he does. Over and over again. Right. So that's what I where that's where it kind of was birthed from. I know that's probably a longer answer than you wanted, but just that 
that God was calling me toward that, to share my story. And and so I did. I stepped out, and it wasn't an easy road to take. And my first um, article on where I've been, I cried, and I cried. I don't think I've ever cried so hard. And um, But it was freeing. Just The Bible says the truth will set you free. And, and that's how it's been, like just being able to share truth with people and say, Marriage isn't always perfect, but um, as long as we are walking in God's grace and we're keeping our eyes on him, it can be a beautiful thing. Love it. Well, on the back jacket of your book, there's a line that says, love gets messy. <laughs> That's true. Mm. It's so true. But you know what? As women, uh, you know, we're willing to clean up a baby's diaper, and that's kind of a mess, too, and a stinky thing, and sometimes we just got to, put the gloves on and do it with our marriage and say, you know what, this really stinks and maybe I made the mess, but I'm here with you because I want to clean it up. Let's talk about six ways to build up your husband. And, you know, I think what's interesting, Darlene, is that um, we all we all want marriage to be great for us, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's another person, there's another person here too, and there's the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But it's also true that if we haven't, an unhappy husband, a dissatisfied husband, a husband who isn't exactly experiencing the love that we're extending to him or we're not extending love to him. It's really tough to be happy in your marriage. It's possible to be happy in Christ in a tough marriage. But it is joyful. It is a true gift to have a marriage that is really wonderful where the husband actually feels loved and feels supported by the wife. So I'm so excited to hear the six ways to build up our husband. Okay. Well, the first one, I think, is um, listening to him. And I think that as soon as we hear the word communication, what we immediately think about is talking. Okay, I'm going to communicate. I'm going to talk, and I'm going to talk. But listening to someone is one of the greatest things that we can bring into our marriage, and that's an awesome way to build up your husband. Um, There's different ways of listening to someone. One is body language, I think, and the more that you're together with people, you start to be able to read that. My husband can read it on me in a second flat. You know, as soon as he sees my face, he'll say, what's wrong? And if I say, oh, nothing, he'll go, I know something's wrong. We need to talk. And then he'll sit and listen to me. And um, just knowing that someone is there and someone cares enough to hear what's on your heart is just an incredible thing. And what I tend to do when I'm upset, and I write about this in my book too, is I like to go, I, I call it my woman cave, which is... Just me snuggled up under my blankets. I just want to hide out from the world. And my husband will always come upstairs, and I just hear his footsteps coming up, and then he'll sit at the foot of the bed. And he says, okay, let's talk. And I say, no, I don't want to talk sometime, and I just want to pull up the blankets higher, like they're going to protect me from the world. And he'll pull them down, and he'll say, no, no, let's talk. What's going on? And just being able to even say a few words and start opening up to each other and having someone there that's willing to listen is one of the greatest gifts that um, that Michael's given to me, and it's one of the best ways that I find that I can build him up. Because there's so many stresses that men go through. I get emails from men, which really is surprising because I write a blog for women, and I've had so many mm-hmm. emails from men telling me, you wouldn't believe the kind of pressures that we have every day. We have our bosses telling us that we're not good enough. We have this pressure at work, and... And we want to so, like support our families, those kind of things. And they feel like they're always a failure. 
and they say, if we come home and we feel like we're a failure at home too, then that's just devastating for them. And I can see that because I feel the same way. You know, I want my husband to listen to me and I want him to build me up. But first and foremost, I have to ask myself, what can I do? What can I bring into this marriage? And that's listening to him and building him up. And uh, I just pray that the rest will come, and it does come. You know, I just trust in God. But what I try to do is focus on what I can do and what I can bring to the marriage. So that's really the the first thing I think that we can do. But there are five ways to build up your husband. So did you want me to list them all and and keep going? Yeah, Yeah, I think just keep going. All right. Uh, Number two is keep a good attitude. And I like to say make an effort to be as cheerful as you were when you were engaged to be married. And some people go, that's, you know, that's not realistic. I, I'm a real person. I want to be a real person here. But the key word there is effort. And we don't have to be perfect. But I think that we should always put an effort in to being cheerful and to having a good attitude because um, that brings a different level of, um, or it brings a different atmosphere, I should say, into your home when you have this um, a cheerful atmosphere, when mom and dad are both happy and when we can resolve things together in kindness and love, it just um, it, it sets a different tone in our family. So um, when I was first married to Michael, I was always excited to see him. And I always had a good attitude. But then as children, we got married and children were um, being born, some days it wasn't so easy to be that cheerful because we're exhausted and we're tired and those kind of things are understandable you can be exhausted and you can um, get tired but i just say try to be cheerful you know give someone a smile hold his hand and and just show him that that you love him and that he's important to you and don't put your marriage on a back burner um, even when things are stressful in your life you can walk through those things together and that's what messy beautiful love is about is walking through the mess of life together. Michael and I have been through some trials, um, including the death of my dad, and that was that was a pretty um, intense time of my life because he died of lung cancer, and I had to sleep in his room to help care for him at night. And there were stressful times, and there were some weeks when I think I had like 10 hours sleep for the whole week. But I just knew that when I saw Michael, he would be there, and I could reach out for his hand. And I would just feel that that comfort and that closeness, knowing that I wasn't walking alone. I think that's a good, um, that's an important thing for us to have. Um, and the Bible says in uh, Proverbs, when a man is cheerful, everything seems to go. Uh, when a man is gloomy, everything seems to go wrong. But when he is cheerful, everything is right. I used to have that was. Um, the Living Bible, I think, when I was young, and I believe it's Proverbs fifteen fifteen, and I used to have it up in my locker at school, in grade twelve. I was uh, my goal for grade twelve was to just be a person who loved life, and I would look at that verse every day, and I would say, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to try to be as cheerful as I can be," and it really does make a difference. Have you ever found that yourself? That when you're cheerful, it seems to make a difference because people respond to you differently too. And so that's oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it's really cool that the Bible has told us this already thousands of years ago, and we don't need Oprah or Dr. Phil to remind us of it because it's right in there. But um, just having that attitude toward your husband and toward your children is an incredible thing. A number mm-hmm. three I have is focus on his strengths. 
ignore his faults and focus on his strong points by taking note of them. Last week, I have to say, my husband was a little bit grumpy. And uh, I kind of joke about it this week, and I'm like, you know what, it would be really nice if you came home friendly today. <laughs> but there was only two days. He was kind of grumpy for two days. And I thought, what's going through my head at the time is, why can't he just, you know, focus on the good things? Why does he have to be, like, focusing on all the bad things? But so many times I think that's what we all tend to do, is that we just, something will bother us, and we can't let it go, and we just focus on the bad things. But if you really want to build someone up, focus on their strengths. And um, I read on my uh, friend's blog, Women Living Well, I was reading it yesterday, and she said that last uh, Valentine's Day they had this red dinner. And what she did is she read a letter, and it was all the things that she loved about her husband. And I think that's a really good thing that we could do for Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. is just give our husbands a letter and say, these are the things I love about you. You know, you don't have to say, these are the things that bother me about you, because we already talk about those enough. We need to just focus on his strengths and build him up by by showing him that, hey, I notice that you're a caring and compassionate person. I notice that you're really good with the kids. And I really appreciate it when you do the extra things for me, like bring me chocolate bars home from the store, or um, when you're cleaning the garage out on a Saturday morning and the rest of the family is sleeping. Like that's a pretty cool thing to do for your family. So when we can focus on their strengths, it just helps to build them up and and remind them that they're loved. And uh, that's one thing I really want to do for my husband this Valentine's Day. And in fact, on my blog today, I say, write your husband a love letter. And I haven't gotten to writing mine yet. But I thought, I think I'm going to take that um, that idea and just write something like 20 things I love about you or 30 things that I love about you. I love that. I leave my mother-in-law on, uh, on my father-in-law's 75th birthday. She gave him a list of 75 reasons why I still love you most. You know, and I just thought, you, know, you can just keep doing this your whole life, girl. You know, you don't have to, like, say, okay, this is Valentine's Day now, check, I'm done with that one, you know. We all like to hear that people that people notice that we do have strengths because we all see our own weaknesses pretty boldly. And so, you know, having somebody else just take a minute and mention a strength to us or 20 or 75, I mean, it's really powerful in our lives. It's huge, and it kind of just ties in with the next whole way to build them up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That just melts my heart. That's so beautiful. I met um, this man emailed me last year, and he was writing a blog, and I think it was called 365 Reasons I Love You, and it was for his wife, and it was a secret. And I don't know if he ever finished the blog, but... I checked in like a half a year later, and this guy was still writing the blog, and he wanted to finish it before he gave it to her as a gift. And it was pretty cool. Every day he would write something like, today you did this or today you did that, and I I really appreciate that about you. And I was just like, every day I read this blog, and I was like, this is the sweetest thing. I can't believe it. Like just to have someone affirm you and tell you how, how much you mean to them, that is that's a real amazing thing. It's something that we don't hear enough of, and I think that we should. We can bring it a lot more into our marriages for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Number four, I have encourage him, compliment him for the way that he looks and the good things that he does, like working hard for the family. And that kind of ties into number three, which is focusing on his strengths. 
But I think giving someone um, verbal encouragement, and that's what we were just talking about too, is just keep on affirming him and give him that encouragement and and tell him why you love him. Tell him how much you love him and uh, tell him um, how much he means to you and why you would marry him all over again. And some people will think that's kind of sappy, but I think as women, these are the things that we want to hear. And so why would we not want to give them to somebody else? And it's well, so much easier to say, that's what I want. I love how this kind of hits on both sides. So the one aspect of it is the character qualities that are unique to him, like you are a loving person, you're loyal, you're, um, you know, what all. And then the other thing is about his actual performance, like things that he actually does. So it's important to it's important to be affirming with both of those things instead of always focusing just on what he does. Sometimes to let him know just just who you are that I love, not only what you do, but but who you are too. So I love I love these two points to focus on the strengths as well as to encourage him. Yeah, one problem my husband and I had um, in our earlier years of marriage, I'd say around 1995, we bought a company, and my husband really had a burden to supply for his family. And so we bought this company, and he's a hard worker, the hardest worker I know. And uh, so Michael was working so many hours for this company. And after a while, I started to get really bitter about it. And I would just complain all the time. Why do you have to work so many hours? Why, you know, when are we ever going to have our family time? And it really started to build a wall between us. It made me angry, and it it made me hard towards him. I think my heart was hardened towards him because I just felt like this company was so important to him. But what I've come to learn is that I really need to, number one, listen to his heart and understand that this company is really important to him because he wants to provide for his family. He wants to be able to offer jobs to the kids um, if they need them. He wants to be able to help other people, and he's done that through his company, which is really cool how many Bibles he's been able to give out to people and stuff. But when I finally came to the place in our marriage where we put Christ at the center, I remembered that verse from 1 Corinthians that says, Uh, Love doesn't get angry when others do it wrong. And I started to change my attitude, and I would be like, Michael, I'm really thankful that you're working for the family. And I started to look at it in a whole different way, and I think a lot of times our perspective can change things when we look at things from a different angle. And um, that's what I had to do. And the more that I did that, I was really thankful that I have a hard-working husband instead of being bitter because my husband works as much as he does. And that changed our marriage quite a bit, I think. And and it's one of the things that that put the wall up between us at first. And it's mm. one of the things that took the wall down. And it's important to just try to understand each other and to encourage each other in those areas that are important. And it really is the fifth the fifth way to build him up is just to accept him, to say this is who you are. You know, I was just talking a second ago with um, with Julie about, you know, Dave isn't the kind of guy to take the trash out. He's just such a leader. And, you know, just for me to just be okay with that instead of saying, you know, and it was funny because even when I said it out loud, I thought there's somebody listening who says he should take the garbage out. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, why do we think he should do anything in particular um, you know, we have these ideas and we just need to just shake them off of us, just, you know, just like garbage, just shake it off 
and wash our hands of the ideas that don't line up with how God created our husbands to be, just accepting them for who they are is really the best gift we can give them as well as the biggest thing to buy because God created them that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I, I like to talk about is how we should be submissive to our husbands. And right away people will get that confused and say, hey, hey wait a minute, my husband likes to cook. And I'm thinking, you know, that really has nothing to do, or, or respecting our husbands has nothing to do with our gender roles. And the assumed, like you say, it's assumed, you know, that a man will take out the garbage and a woman will do the cooking. But a lot of times those roles are reversed, and that's okay if that's what works for your family. And if your husband loves to do the cooking and you're a power mechanic, then that's awesome. Go for it. You know, as long as you're respecting each other and you're living God's way, that's the most important thing is that you just love each other and, and accept each other for who you are and the person that God created him to be. We're not all created to be June Cleavers, all of us women, and I certainly wasn't. And I'm glad that my husband accepts me for who I am because a lot of times I have actually, one time I had company over and uh, they were like surprise company. So, oh, no, they weren't surprised. No, I was just really bad housekeeper now that I come to think of it. So anyway, I was making pizza for dinner. This was like my first year of marriage, though, so give me some grace. But um, what I did is I hid all my Tupperware in the oven because I didn't have time to wash all the dishes before they came out, before they came over. So then I make these pizzas, and I go to preheat the oven to 350. And oh, no. all of it, our house just smells like burnt Tupperware. <laughs> and my husband was at the back door just throwing Tupperware out into the yard, and I'll never forget it. I thought, this is so embarrassing. Oh, you know, but that just kind of goes to show that we're not all what we expect that we're going to be. And I think when you hop into marriage like, and you're like, okay, we're married now, and I'm going to be the June Cleaver, and you're going to be the ward, and oh, the car's broken, get out there and fix it. And a man's like, I don't even know what to do. I've never fixed a car before. So just giving each other that grace and that understanding and accepting each other for the strengths and the weaknesses that we have is really an important thing. Absolutely. And in our last last minute or minute and a half here, talk to us about the importance of communication, communicating with patience and wisdom. I think that uh, be slow to anger and relay your frustration and love, respect, and a cool head. And you were saying something with the last guest about um, it's more important to fight for your marriage than it is to fight with your husband. And one of the things that I always say is is be willing to, it's more important to um, to do what is right than to be right. And a lot of times I think when we're communicating with someone, we're like, hey, I have to be right, I have to be right. But being able to let something go and choose to do right is far more important and it's going to be better for your marriage. So communicate and love, even if it feels like it's going to kill you, let it go. Sometimes it's just so important to let the small stuff go and just love on each other and try to make life better for each other by um, being kind and, and loving and gentle. I really liked how you phrased that when you said you will le- relay your frustration in love. And I, I could just see me laying down a frustration into the bed of love and and mm-hmm. having it just go, go just disappear because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, I just how this relaying it. I love that. It's a beautiful picture in my head. Darlene, thank you so much for your life, for your ministry, for your willingness to be vulnerable in your book, in your on your blog. Um, thank you for being here. 
Well, thank you for having me. It was awesome. Welcome back, and I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest today, Arlene Pellicane of ArlenePellicane.com. She's a speaker and the author of several books, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Wife, 31 Days to a Happy Husband, 31 Days to a Younger You. We all got to have that one, too. <laughs> and, um, she is just an awesome lady who's been on today's show, Family Life Today, 700 Club, Better Show, Our Power, all kinds of places. She has a BA from Biola University and an MA from Regent University. And she is such a 
great lady. She is so fun to I could grieve, Arlene. I'm going to just cut a little bit of that. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's here with us today to talk about her book, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Wife, and also amazingly to share with us three days to becoming a happier wife. So, Arlene, welcome to you. It's great to be with you, Marnie. Oh, it's good to have you here. And I know that you are married to James, and you have kids, Ethan, Noel, and Lucy. And whatever yes. prompted you to begin writing books for women and for wives in particular? Yeah. yeah. James and I celebrated sweet 16. So we've been married 16 years. And when we look around, you know, and you look at the family and you look at couples, many couples are hanging in there. They're, you know, doing this, but they're not necessarily happy. And as we looked at having children, too, you think of these kids as they're growing up, many of them growing up in a divorced home, a blended family, et cetera, and thinking of the stress that puts on a child and thinking, how can I, as a writer, help women to enjoy their role as a wife so they can be that model of hope to their children and they can give mm-hmm. that stability, but not only just do it because it's the right thing, but to really enjoy themselves and to kind of recapture that joy of when you first got married and you felt like your whole life was in front of you. So many times I interview people for my books to find out, how are you doing this? How is this working? So I interviewed people who had parents that had divorced. I interviewed people who had made, gotten married and thought, well, I've made a huge mistake. What do I do now? So we have all sorts of perspectives, and how did each of these women get to the place where they could say, I am a happy wife? So the book is really about giving a woman hope, and it's also about showing a woman that this isn't many times we think, well, I'm not happy because you know my husband's out of work, my husband's lazy, my husband plays video games all day, uh, my husband doesn't listen to me, he's not affectionate towards me, so of course I'm not happy. And so it's always your happiness is due to something else. And it really gives you this feeling like you're a victim to your circumstances. But our book, my book, is about how can you, instead of saying that, that you say, I will take responsibility for myself. And it's nobody's responsibility but my own, you know, to find joy in my life. Yeah, I love one of the sections in the book you talk about. When you came to understand that even though other people argue all the time in their marriages, it didn't have to necessarily be that way for you. Even though yeah. other people suffered in certain ways, it didn't necessarily have to be that way for you. Yeah. And, it was yeah. and like that's, a, that's a wonderful saying. I had one a mom that I've talked to, and she said, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. And, you know, when you see yourself arguing with your spouse, when you see yourself constantly, you know, having these battles, to think to yourself, you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. And start seeking God and start seeking help to say, how can I turn these things around? Right. So if you've ever seen it modeled well anywhere, you can have a marriage that is also beautiful. And um, Arlene's here to share some of that with us. Let's go ahead and talk about, you know, the book is 31 Days. And you guys, I want to encourage you to read this. Uh, We're going to share right now three days. Three days to becoming a happier wife. That's right. (laughs) You know, that's just such a great starting point. So let's talk about day one. Yeah. What are we so if on you can one? on day one, if you can simply do this, be responsible instead of passing the buck like we talked about earlier and saying, well, I would be happy when I didn't have to work so hard or when my husband would bring me flowers every once in a while or he'd remember my birthday, you know, whatever it is that you're waiting for. Instead of waiting for that, say, you know what, I am going to take responsibility. There is a quote that I use in the book from John Maxwell that I really love that he was speaking and there was this Q&A time and his wife was asked, does John make you happy? 
And of course, he was very anxious and figured, oh, now she's going to talk about how I'm such a wonderful husband, etc. But instead, she said, no, he doesn't. And he was, you know, shocked by that. But then she said, you know, the first two or three years we were married, I was expecting that it was his job to make me happy. And then I realized it wasn't his job. It's my job. And I think the sooner we can come to this realization that it is my responsibility, the buck stops here, regardless of how good or bad my life is, this too shall pass. And the thing that's the same is what my attitude is, what I bring to it. So simply by saying it is my responsibility. So by whatever circumstance you're in, on day one, you say, wait a minute, I'm not going to blame my husband. I'm not going to blame my terrible boss. I'm not going to blame my cranky children. (laughs) I'm going to say it's my job. It's my responsibility to find joy in my own life. It's such a different message than we're getting everywhere. Um, When you're unhappy, it's your responsibility to leave. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's you right. Know? Yeah, it's just so tragic. And I, I talk to so many wives that are like, are like, I just think I have to leave. And you know, there, there are circumstances where that is the right choice, but very few. And honestly, most of us, it's really in our head if we're going to be happy or not. It's really not in our circumstances. Yeah, and And a lot of it to say, I'm not afraid to be the first one to step up to the plate. You know, a lot of times we think we want him to step up to the plate. He should be the leader. I'm waiting for him. I'm not going to do it. But to say, wait a minute, it's my responsibility too. And if I uh, uh, answer him with a gentle answer, if I take responsibility to fix these things myself, you know, et cetera. I, I remember, you know, this just illustrates the point of responsibility. My husband is a wonderful father and he loves to bike the kids into school, which is great because it gives me that morning that I don't have to take the kids to school. But one particular morning they were on the, on the rush going out and I was like, well, I'll clean up the kitchen. And James, my husband, yelled back, oh, well, I wouldn't want you, sarcastically, I wouldn't want you to lift a finger, you know. You have an allergic reaction to doing dishes. And all the kids thought that was so funny, so they all left the house laughing and giggling and chortling at mom, you know, oh, mom, she hates doing housework, whatever. Well, I was fuming inside because I thought, well, the only thing, granted, I am no housewife. That's true. I'm not good at cleaning the house. But the only thing I do do, Marty, is I do clean those dishes. (laughs) So for him to say, don't do the dishes, you have an allergic reaction to dishes, I was just like, oh, my goodness, I was so upset. And you know how things get larger in your life. Something happens, and then it reminds you of something else. And, oh, he's so insensitive. He doesn't see what I do all day. And so in that moment, ladies, we have that idea that, okay, this is my responsibility to take charge of these these emotions and to find joy and to find resolution instead of saying, you did this to me, it's your responsibility, it's your fault I had a bad day, it's your fault I was cranky all day, you know, because it's what you said to me. So when he came back home, you know, he doesn't even think he did anything wrong. And very calmly, I said, you know, honey, when you made that comment about the dishes, that really hurt my feelings because that's actually one thing I actually do around here. And he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. I was just being, you know, flippant. I'm, I'm really sorry. And now I've got another choice. I can say, well, you know, I can hold that over him. Well, you shouldn't be so insensitive. You should think before you speak, you know, all these things. But then you also take the responsibility to say, I'll forgive you, you know, like, okay, that's okay. I make mistakes too. And you go on. And so being able to day by day take responsibility for the interactions that happen to your home, in in your home, and not to pass the buck. He made me this way. He made me miserable. But to say, Lord, how can I find resolution in these areas? And God will help you to do that. Mm, So beautiful. So true. And it all starts with the thought and thought. 
even though we can't be responsible for the thoughts that come into our heads, what we do with those thoughts are our responsibility. And so don't beat yourself up if you have a nasty thought. Just take it yeah. from there and turn yeah. it around, turn it to Jesus and receive his help there. How about day two? What do we do on day two? Day two. Okay, ladies, you know how, like, you bend over and you touch your toes and you think, like, oh, that kind of feels good but kind of hurts. So that's what day two is. It's being adaptable. It's being flexible. You know, when you were dating your spouse-to-be, you were like, wow, he's so interesting. He's so different than me. Oh, you know, and then you get married and you're like, these differences are killing me. You know, my husband right, really right? My husband's really fun-loving, and I'm more, and I'm fun, but I'm not, you know, I would never break a rule. Like, my husband will pass a sign that says, no trespassing, and he'll say, oh, better to ask forgiveness, you know, and he'll, and he'll go on if he thinks that it's a reasonable thing he should go look at, you know, whether you're hiking or whatever, or I would never look at, you know, I'd never go past that. And, you know, when you're dating, it's like, oh, he's so adventurous. But then when you're married, it's like, wow, you, you know, get a clue, read the sign, look what it says. And so for us ladies as wives to say, how can we be adaptable towards our husbands, not to seek to change them, but to really relish their differences and for them to relish ours. My husband grew up camping, rollerblading, skiing, mountain biking, all these things that I never grew up doing. And I remember our first, one of our first little vacations as newlyweds, we were living in a new city, and there was a camping trip for the young marrieds in the church. Now, this could not be any worse to me because, one, you're, like, meeting new people, and then, two, you're doing it the while camping. And my idea of camping, you know, is going to the Motel 6 and then going to the lake or something. So I was not happy about this trip, but I understood in my mind, okay, this makes sense. We want to get to know people. We should go camping. Okay, dear, I'll go camping. But you know when you as a wife say, okay, dear, I'll do this, but your whole body – demeanor, tone, let your husband know, I did not want to do this. <laughs> That's how I was. The whole drive to the campsite for two hours, I was silent, I was brooding, I was irritable, all those things. And right before we got to the campsite, my husband pulled over, looked at me, turned off the car, and said, are you going to be like this all weekend? Because if you're going to be like this all weekend, we can turn around right now because I'm here to have fun. You know, and as a newlywed, I really I did this wrong. You know, I'd overreacted. I started to cry. But then I said, you mean I didn't have to come at all? You know, <laughs> then I realized I have got to become more adaptable. And now I'm married and I've got to appreciate that my husband would really mean a lot to him if I could learn how to sleep in a tent for one night, you know, that this would mean a lot to him. And so it took that adaptability that, that you know, hurts sometimes because it's like, oh, this is not what I'm used to. So whether it's camp or whether it's another hobby that your husband has or whether it's like um, Pam Farrell talks about how her husband Bill would put his coffee cups all over the house and would just drive her crazy like why can't you find the kitchen and she finally realized okay with every coffee cup I'm, that I clean up I'm going to say God thank you for this coffee loving man who has to drink all this coffee to keep up with me so whatever thing that you have got to adapt yourself to with your husband to do that with grace with flexibility ask God to help you. And, you know, when it's, God is so funny, many times he just, he, you know, obviously we're wired differently. You know, think of the five love languages with Gary Chapman and my husband's love languages are touch and acts of service. Well, those are the ones that are at the bottom of my list. You know, I touch is like fully at the bottom. Acts of service is the next one on the bottom. And so we have to adapt to one another and to realize, okay, 
this is what you like, so I'm going to snuggle up to you and I'm going to pet your arm and I'm going to massage your feet and I'm going to do all these things because that's something that you would want. So a happy wife looks for ways not to say, I'm not budging, there's no way you'd ever get me on that mountain bike, you know, there's no way I'd ever go on that vacation with you, I don't want to go to that place. But instead she says, okay, Lord, help me to be more adaptable because what you'll find is as you're more adaptable to him, he will be more adaptable to you. I like Elizabeth Elliot. She defines humility as flexibility. Mm, That's really yeah. been challenging for me because, you know, yeah. it's really true that we just get so proud of our own, you know, well, that's really not yeah. me. And, um, yeah. Another thing I was thinking is how, how critically important it is to be able to look at your husband's glaring faults and just look straight at them and say, yep, <laughs> they're there. Right, right. <laughs> say, I, I choose. I choose to apply the love of Jesus to your life. Yeah, and, and to realize that that we've got the glaring faults too. You oh, know, there'd be there'd be moments yeah. where I think, well, I don't like you very much right now as I'm strapping on these ice skates and having to learn how to skate because my husband likes to ice skate, you know, and I think, I don't like this very much. I don't like you very much. And then to think, well, I'm sure there are moments in his life where I make him do things or I do things, say things, have habits, do strange things that he thinks. Oh, this woman. So okay. it goes both ways. And that it that does. mindset helps us to become more flexible because we want, you know, the same from him. Yeah, we really long to be loved and accepted. And I always say there there should be somewhere that we can go and be ourselves. Not that not that yeah. we're icky, but at the same right. time our husbands should need a place where they can really be themselves. They they really yeah. need a place to be safe and not getting beat up all the time. Okay. Let's talk about day number three. Day number three is a fun one. So day number one was be responsible. Day number two, be adaptable. And day number three is be purposeful. Because what happens to us as women, we have these goals. You know, we're, we want to finish something in our career. We want to teach our child to tie their laces. You know, we've got these goals in different areas. We're going to re, you know, redo the whatever kitchen and we're going to do cabinets, whatever. But when it comes to what are you doing in your marriage, it's like, huh? You know? <laughs> What do you mean? What am I doing in my marriage? I'm here. I'm, I'm going to be here, you know. And so for us to realize as wives that we need to have some things that we are looking forward to, that I can hardly wait as a wife. And so that may mean that I can hardly wait for our anniversary because we always go on a one-night getaway just in our own local town and we just find a place and we get away. It could mean I can hardly wait because uh, every summer my husband and I do this special thing together, whatever it is. But something in your marriage where you are on purpose planning something that will bring you closer together. Because many times, whether it's a career or children, we can get very involved in those things, career and children, and then years down the line, we're looking at our husband across the dinner table and we're like, I don't really know what to talk about anymore. And so by being purposeful as a wife, you're constantly thinking, how can we build each other up and how can we get closer together? I know a wonderful couple. They've got two elementary school kids, very happily married. But, you know, they hadn't been on a date in five years because they just figured we're always with our kids. And they realized we kind of have to do that. So they got a babysitter. They did it on purpose. They went on a date and they stared at each other. They didn't have anything to say. She said it was so weird because other people would be like hold hands or do things. We didn't touch each other. 
we didn't have any children to tell to be quiet or to cut their food, and it was strangely quiet, and we didn't have anything to say. And then after dinner, they didn't know what to do, but they had the babysitter for X amount of hours, so they walked around the mall together, and she said it was so strange. And so, but luckily, they didn't stop there. They said, we better keep doing this so we can learn how to do this again. And so now they have those regular date nights, and now they enjoy each other very much. But see what they did? They did something on purpose. They realized, you know, as a married couple, this is what we need. I know um, families with, you know, they have five grown kids now. But they used to every, you know, Thursday night was their night where they'd have a candlelight dinner, these two parents, and these five kids would watch a special video in the other room. And while they did that, the two parents would have a candlelight dinner. See, that was at home. It was just something they did on purpose to stay closer together. It could be as simple as a coffee date that you guys go out for coffee um, and then you swap drinks. Whatever you usually drink, you give to him. Whatever he usually drinks, you give to her. And then you drink these little coffees and then you talk about, you know, how, how is life for your perspective and you kind of put yourself in your spouse's shoes so they can be very small things but they're things on purpose you do together whether it's a marriage retreat whether it's reading a marriage book together sometimes it's going to get counseling together that that's a very good on purpose thing that you do and then like we talked about for men they love recreational companionship this has been one of my biggest challenges is to learn these things okay I will learn how to, to ice skate and how to be on a bicycle because it means something to my husband to do these fun things or for me to be there. It brings us close together. I interviewed Dr. Marjorie Blanchard for the book, and she and her husband, Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager, they have been uh, you know entrepreneurs all, for much of their life, and she's very much a leader. And when I asked her about being a happy wife, she said, What's really helpful is to ask yourself what's new on your marriage resume in the last five years. So to think about your marriage and to think, what have we learned new? What could we put on that resume that we went on this trip or we learned this skill together or we now have this conflict resolution style, you know, or whatever it is, but that you're learning, you're growing. Because if you're invested in your marriage, you're doing things on purpose, your heart's going to be in it, you're there. But if you just let things drift, then no wonder 10, 20 years down the line you say there's nothing left here. It's because you didn't invest anything. So I think that is a very important, that day three of being purposeful, doing things on purpose. How can we be really intentional about growing together as a husband and wife, even with a busy job, even with kids, even with volunteer work, church work, whatever it is, but how can my spouse and I get closer together and be really intentional about that? I love that tip, and that's awesome. And once yeah. you get these days one, two, and three down, you can remember them. Wrap R A P, responsible, yes. adaptable, purposeful, and you can just keep saying after you do day three, keep saying every day, "Am I being wrapping yeah. to my husband? Responsible, adaptable, yeah. purposeful." Yeah, yeah. I love it. You know, one of the pieces of advice I've gotten earlier that I love is to actually envision yourself sitting beside your husband's bed, holding his hand as he's in a hospital nearing death at the end of his life. And as you sit there holding his hand, what do you want to have go through your mind? Because that's what you're building today. Today is the day you get to pick how that scene looks. And um, I think this purposeful part, I think we really oftentimes don't approach our marriage anything like the other portions of our life. We just expect. We we have really big expectations. (laughs) Right. 
yes, we want it to be a certain way, but we haven't necessarily put in the effort to make it that way. And it's not automatic. And so to realize, okay, but those, but isn't it wonderful? It could be very small things and the compound effect of those over the years will give you that despot experience that you long for, you know, that closeness where, you know, there, there's no regrets when you get to that point. And there are little things each day that you do for your spouse that will do that for you. Absolutely. Well, this is Marnie Spudberg. We've been interviewing Arlene Pellicane. She is the author of several books. We're going to give away a couple books today, um, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Wife. And um, the other one is The Green Jacket, 31 Days to a Happy Husband. And both of these are awesome. You guys want to check them out. Also, at her website, there's all kinds of resources. Arlene, if people go over to ArlenePellicane.com, what are they going to find there? Yeah, what what I was going to say was there's a quiz, Am I a Happy Wife? And so you can take that online quiz and kind of get started to assess where am I, where do I want to be. I also have a monthly podcast, the Happy Home Podcast, where I interview um, all sorts of people like Liz Curtis Higgs and Sharon Janes and a bunch of others about uh, having a happier home. So there are a lot of things you can find there at ArlenePellicane.com. Oh, fantastic. Well, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you for being here and for sharing your heart with us. Uh, what's new for you? What's coming up in the future, Arlene? Well, you know, I have a book that's out with Gary Chapman. It's called Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. And that's out now. It came out uh, a few months ago. So if you're a parent or a grandparent and you are wondering what in the world am I going to do with my kid as they are glued to these screens, then I would highly recommend that one for you. So it's called Growing Up Social. And then right now I'm working on 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Mom. So stay tuned. That will be coming out in the summer. Well, you have got us covered then. We're 31 days to being a younger than me, a happy wife, a happy husband, happy mom, and how to get those kids off the TV. So we are all set to go. Thanks for being here. appreciate you coming. Thank you so much. God bless you. And you guys got to go over and check out ArleneTelecane.com. That's A-R-L-E-N-E. Telecane is spelled P-E-L-L-I-C-A-N-E.com. Did you say this would be 
Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedburn. Of course, you're participating in the 2015 Wife SOS event here. And we're so excited to introduce our next guest, Deborah Ross. She's an author, a speaker. She's strengthening families. Well, she God is using her and God is flowing through her to help strengthen families, encourage faith, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she has contagious faith. Her book, Healing a Broken Marriage, Love Never Fails, is just such an awesome book. And if you haven't read it, you do want to read that book. She's here today to share with us eight preparation steps to your marriage miracle. Welcome to you, Deborah. Thank you so much, Maureen. It's good to be with you. Well, and I'm so excited to have you here. And we're going to talk a little bit right now about our marriage miracle. And honestly, Deborah, you are one who had <laughs> has experiences personally. You're not just talking about theory. You are talking about walking through really so much trauma in your marriage, so much pain, and um, some points of hopelessness in your book when I was reading it, Deborah, I, I think one of the things that struck me was your honesty that you didn't do everything perfectly yourself, but that God was so much bigger than your challenges. You know, coming coming out on the other end, and I'm sure your marriage still has challenges. Every marriage will always have challenges. But being where you are today, looking back, Deborah, you know, your phrase, love never fails. How do you say that now to a woman who's facing the need for a marriage miracle? Wow. Um, yeah, well, proof is in the pudding. Um, my husband and I have been married for 30 years now. God has done exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. I'm married to a man of God. I'm married to a man who is the head of our household. We have fabulous marriage, but it was upside down for 18 years. And, um, you know, love never fails. My grandmother used to always say, kill him with kindness. You know, when, when our marriage was upside down, um, it would have been very easy for me to fight back with fleshly weapons, you know, of hatred and anger and bitterness. And, and of course, I was not perfect. I mean, I didn't do everything perfect. Um, but the Holy Spirit did help me, really would put me back in a straitjacket and say, okay, you got to straighten up because if you don't straighten up, you you will destroy your marriage. Even though my husband at that time was lost and doing all the wrong things, really the cards were in my hand. What was I going to do with it? How was I going to respond to that? And mm-hmm. so, um, and that's where Love Never Fails, First Corinthians 13, um, talks about the attributes of love and, and learning how to flesh that out, learning how to, you know, apply it to your life when the rubber meets the road. It's easy to read it and say it when nothing is going on that's bad. <laughs> but when, right. when obstacles are, are in your face, then how do you live it out? Well, let's dive right into the eight preparation steps for your marriage miracle. And you guys, I want you to hang with us all the way through all eight. <laughs> you might be going, oh, that's simple. Oh, I did that. Or you might say, I was <laughs> necessary. But just hang with us through all eight because it's so important. And I love, you know, in your book you talk about the, the critical necessity to not just throw out parts of it. To actually, you know, and you use the illustration, you know, I'm reading on page 145 uh, from you talk about out of family, second family, six work. Uzzah, and you wrote, while Uzzah met well by helping to cart the ark of God from the house of Ahinabeth to the city of David, he failed to adhere to the importance of God's requirement in handling his presence. And really, that is your heart, isn't it, Deborah, to say, don't just think, oh, this is good enough, this is my little bandage, or this is how much I'm going to give, but to say, what is God requiring of me, right? Yes, yes. 
Yes. Um, you know, marriage is, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, you know, <laughs> two imperfect people come together and they expect to make a perfect person and it doesn't happen that way. So, you know, um, we have to learn, you know, that God's way is the best way. And if we can learn to apply God's word to our life, like I said, to flesh it out, then that's where the miracles happen. That's where the beauty happens. That's where, you know, you you find the diamond in the coal. That's where you can say, yes, we made it. Um, And so it's, it's really, you know, the motives of our heart and learning to walk out the word of God in our everyday life. You know, I just want to say one more little thing here that's bubbling up in my spirit is some of you are listening and you're like, but I've been walking with God, but I've been trusting. She said the proof's in the pudding and I don't have any proof. But I'm just going to say, you know, Deborah, 18 years for you. I have a friend, 29 years for her. Um, You know, we don't get to pick on the day that God (laughs) is going to finish our pudding, (laughs) right? That's right. (laughs) You just have to you just have to hold on and hope and put your faith in God. Uh, put your faith in God. Okay, so what is step number one? Okay, all right. Well, you know, um, if you want to see a miracle in your marriage, you have to first have salvation. Now, this may seem very simple for those that are listening that are Christians because you're thinking, oh, well, I've got that. That's easy. And it is easy because, you know, salvation is a free gift from God, and uh, it's just a matter of saying, you know, um, I turn from my sin and I turn to the Lord. But um, what I want to talk about is is for those maybe that aren't born again that are listening, who, you know, sometimes I find, morning that people just want their miracle. They don't really want to God. really get their life right with God. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. So they just want their miracle. Just fix it, God, and I'll, you know, I love you, I believe in you. Well, so do the demons in trouble. But do you really, really love the Lord, have you really surrendered 100% of your life to the Lord? Not 99%, not 80%, but 100% of your life to the Lord. Do you really know him? So you must be born again. Um, you know, um, Nicodemus asked Jesus, he said, you know, what what should I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, you must be born again. You must be born again. But I want to go a little bit deeper with the whole born again thing. And I want to talk about the word salvation. Um, for those that are saved, um, this is going to be um, just uh, sweet oil to your soul because this is going to, I think, encourage you. And I looked at the word salvation in the concordance, and it means more than a ticket to heaven. You know, when I was lost, I always thought, oh, you know, one day I'll get saved and then I'll go to heaven, you know, because nobody wants to go to hell. <laughs> but salvation actually starts now. So when you become a born-again Christian, I mean, you're already living in eternity now. When you die, you just cross over into the unseen world, but right. we're already living in, in in our eternity. And so the word salvation means deliverance. It means health, welfare, aid, prosperity, rescue, defend, liberty, mm-hmm. to be safe and to preserve. And you see, when you, when you think about these words, and, and those of you that have maybe haven't heard this before, you might want to jot it down. It's in my book. It's on page two. But... Um, and you can look it up in your concordance. Just look up the word salvation. But um, when I first read this, I believed it. I loved it. But like a colander, it would leak out of me because I would get back out into the world, get back around religious people, and it would be drained out of me. And so I would have to go back and look at it again. What is God saying? How much does the Lord really love me? Deliverance, health, welfare, aid, victory, prosperity, rescue, defend, liberty, to be safe and to preserve. And when I thought about this 
in the context of my marriage, I realized that God was for me. He was for me. He wanted He wanted my husband to be delivered from alcohol and drugs. He wanted my husband to be saved more than I wanted him to be saved. He wanted our family to prosper. You know, even though we were, you know, looking at bankruptcy and foreclosure and, and didn't have enough money at the end of the month, you know, God wanted us to prosper. And so that was hope for me. So to rest in your salvation, to first be born again, because if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. That means you can't participate in the kingdom of God, and you can't have the benefits of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So first be born again. And second, if you are born again, then to realize what the benefits of your salvation are and how much the Lord loves you. He died so that you could be free and be free indeed, and and not free from your spouse, not free from your husband, but but free as in your whole family unit coming to Christ because he wants to bless your seed. It's about your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. It's bigger than just us. It's bigger than that. And so God wants to bless generations through our marriage. Mm. So that's number one, salvation. Yeah, dedicate ourselves to Christ and receive his free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Your next step is to read. What are we supposed to read? Okay. Well, you know, this is good because um, I teach a lot of uh, marriage classes and I find that a lot of people um, who go to church all the time read a lot of devotionals and a lot of books. And that's good. You should. It's good to read. It's good to read all kinds of things. It's good to read uh, biographies. It's good to read all kinds of things. But if you are looking for a miracle in your marriage or anything in life, and really if you just want to know the Lord, you need to go straight to the source. You need to read the Bible because... The Bible is the living, breathing Word of God. And so when we read it in a devotional, you know, you're just getting a little tidbit. It's like you're getting a little snack. But God wants us to eat a meal. He wants us to eat a meal every day with Him and go straight to the Word of God and find out exactly what He says. Um, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we read our Bibles, we are reading God. We are reading God. And so it's so important that we really just hunker down and say, Lord, what do you have to say about this? Because, you know, when you're in a marriage crisis, you're going to get all kinds of advice. <laughs> and it's not. And some of it will sound really good, and it will sound like it's right. But if you don't put it up against God's Word, you can get confused, and you can make a choice that will change the course of your life forever, you know, and can really destroy your family. So go to the Word. Get it from the Word. I love how in times when I am needing to hear from God that He will just, like a, a phrase will just pop off the page of the Bible or... I'll all of a sudden have a, a reference in my head to go look up or, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I always say, uh, you know, as an author myself, you know, I know my way around my books really well. Like if you if you ask, like you said, you know, that was on page two or I read something off page 145 or something of your book. God knows his book really well. And when he needs us to understand something, he can get us to the right page in a heartbeat. It's mm-hmm. easy to do. And I just love that. Even just in your daily reading, all of a sudden, there's the answer to the question that you were asking. I love that. The next one is pray. So talk to us about prayer. Okay. Well, if you want to receive your marriage miracle, you've got to be a praying wife. And, you know, we need to go to God uh, praying with confidence, you know, um, believing that he, like I said, is for us. You know, if God be for us, who can be against us? God hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce because divorce hurts people. And so 
he wants us to go to him with confidence, knowing that he is for our marriage. He wants everyone in our household saved. He is for our marriage. And so pray. Pray with boldness. Pray with confidence. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Learn how to really be in a mode of prayer with God throughout your day. Um, when you're in a, in, a, in a difficult marriage and, you know, you're faced with conflict throughout the day of whatever sort, if we can just learn to pray before we react, you know, our emotions will get us in trouble. <laughs> so try not to respond according to our emotions, but try to respond according to the Word of God. And really the only way to do that is to pray. So when, you're, when, when somebody's coming at you with the wrong thing, you know, somebody's coming at you with conflict or, or your, your spouse is coming at you with just, you know, something that's just not good in the marriage. Before you react, pray. Say, God, what am I going to say? How am I going to handle this? And then as women, we, use, we say too much. So when the Holy Spirit tells us what to say, say that and then be quiet. Don't say anything else. Just say what the Holy Spirit says. But pray. Um you know, pray with thanksgiving. Thank God because you know that he's for you and thank him for the answer. Thank him for coming through on your behalf because he loves you. Pray with a clean heart. You know, make sure when we go to God, we have a clean heart. If we have unforgiveness in our heart, we want to um, make sure that we clear that up first. Um, you know, if we've offended somebody, we need to clear that up first. So go to God with a clean heart and clean motives, um, expecting him to answer our prayer. Love it, love it. The next one is surround yourself. Now, okay, when you are in a difficult situation, it is really all the time, but especially when you're in a difficult situation, it is so important that you surround yourself with godly people who will hold your feet to the fire and who will encourage you. People who are um, really for you and don't have um, ulterior motives behind it, and so, you know, I found when I was going through a difficult time in my marriage that, you know, if I could just find two or three people, you know, I might know a lot of Christian people, but it doesn't mean that those, all those Christian people are going to hold my feet to the fire. It doesn't mean that all those Christian people really have the faith to believe for me to come out of this thing without smelling like smoke. <laughs> so, you know, try to find some people who will really help you believe for your cause so you know some people look at you and and they may say oh you know well you might as well just divorce him because he's never going to (laughs) change but try to find somebody who has faith that'll say you know what god's for you i believe i believe with you that that he will change because god wants everybody saved and he wants your family to make it and so surround your surround yourself with those people who are are strong christian people who are for your cause and who will hold your feet to the fire. And so that's going to be a small group. It's not going to be... Now, you are going to have your big group of Christian friends. I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm just saying you've got to put your wetsuit on, put the whole armor of God on, and, and when, when errors come at you that are not uh, for your cause, you've got to learn to repel those errors and only let that, that close circle of friends in to help you to navigate your way to the victory. I think one of the best ways to find a, a good friend is to identify those who don't take offense for you they just walk with you. And, and you can tell this by the people who right away want to punish your husband uh, for being who they are, <laughs> for being who he is, and, uh, yeah. and wanting to pray with you to be who you need to be. Uh, and, and that's yeah. really a good, good indication of somebody who's going to be with you the whole way is somebody who doesn't just write, go in and write and try to defend you. Let God defend you 
uh, let your let your friends walk with you through the fire and and let God do it. I love that. Okay, let's talk about yeah. You, you know, one of your points now. Point number five is attending church, and a lot of people will be like, now how in the world is that beneficial to my marriage? Well, why don't you tell us why you think it's important? Well, you know, so many people will say, you know, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and you know, you know, in theory that's true, you know, but the Bible does say to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, and you know, when you go to church you are going there for corporate worship. It's a pep rally. You're going to church Mm -hmm. out of obedience. It's obedience. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to set aside this time for God, and I am going to go to church to worship the Lord. And, again, you're in corporate worship with all of these other believers. I mean, I can remember times when I was sitting in church and just feeling so broken, so broken. And just wondering if I could make it another day. And just during praise and worship, just lifting my hands, closing my eyes, and just letting the Holy Spirit work on me. And just worshiping God, you know, praising Him through the trials and worshiping Him. And so, you know, that's something that maybe maybe I would have done at home. Maybe I wouldn't have done it at home because you're, you're busy at home. You know, you've got things to do. You've got to get the kids' homework. You've got to get the kids' baths. You've got to get them to school. You've got, you got to wash clothes. You've got to wash dishes. You've got all these things to do. But just to have that time carved out with God in corporate worship where you can just, wow, just worship him freely in spirit and in truth and be around other believers. And, you know, like I said, you're going to have that core group that's going to hold your feet to the fire, but you also need that big group too. You need that big group of believers who will just encourage you, you know, in your journey, smile at you that day, ask you how you're doing, Um it's so important that we go to church. We cannot leave off. And, and I'll tell you this. Now, my husband did go with me every Sunday, even before he became a Christian. He thought he was a Christian. He was a counterfeit. Um, but he went with me every Sunday. And I know some people, their their spouse will not go with them. But, you know, we we should go anyway. We should set the example and uh, and let God deal with them. So when they're at home and, and the Lord is dealing with them and, and we're at church, that's great. So just be obedient to the Lord and do what you know to do that is right, and that's attend church. Love that. Okay, the next one, number seven, or six rather, develop your fruit. Yes. Okay, now this is funny because, um, you know, so many times people will come to me and they'll say, you know, oh, you just don't understand. You know, they just, you know, you don't know what I'm dealing with, and you don't know, you know, they have stinky fruit. They, You know, this, uh-huh. that, and the other about the other person. <laughs> But the thing is, is that the Lord didn't tell us to change our spouse. He told us to change us. And so we need to work on us because even though, like, I was a Christian for 12 years while I prayed for my husband. So we were married for 18 years, upside down. And 12 of those years, I was a Christian and he was not. And so, you know, it would have been easy for me to say, well, you know, I've got this right. I am a Christian. So, you know, I don't know what's wrong with him, but I've got it. (laughs) But the thing is, God was working on me too. God was developing my character. And so it was important for me to develop my fruit, my love. And I'm talking about love where the rubber meets the road, loving the unlovable when the unlovable might be your husband. My joy, having joy when I didn't feel like having joy. (laughs) I was oppressed. I felt terrible because I was going through a very hard time, but developing my joy, my peace, my peace with God, learning to have peace with God, even in the midst of the storm, long suffering. You know, nobody wants to suffer long. I didn't want to suffer long, but but just learning how to be committed to fight the good fight of faith and learning how to be committed and having done all to stand and not give her, not giving up. You know, I was in it for the long haul. I was like, you know, um, you know, I'll either 
die in my faith, you know, or either I'll, but I will not live in fear, doubt, and unbelief. I'm not going to live in fear, doubt, and unbelief. So either God's word is true and, and I'm going to be blessed and, and God's going to work this all out for, for my good and for his glory, or either I'm going to die in battle, but I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to be in faith and I'm going to, I'm going to just stand. I'm not going to move. Long-suffering, kindness, you know, learning to be kind when, when your spouse is, you know, maybe coming at you with unkind words, unkind, unkind deeds, learning how to reciprocate with kindness. And it's not easy, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit can and will empower us to do that. Goodness, faithfulness, meekness, faithfulness. Look at, let's go back to that one. You know, um, when my husband committed adultery, the first thing the enemy told me was, you know, retaliation. <laughs> retaliation. You know, this isn't fair. You're, you know, you deserve better than this. You deserve to be loved. And so, but, but the Holy Spirit kept me in faithfulness because I was committed to not just my marriage, but to the Lord. And I wanted to be clean. I didn't want to be dirty. So I didn't want, I wanted to retaliate in the flesh, but in the spirit, I did not want to retaliate. I wanted to be faithful to my husband and to the Lord and meekness. And meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness means strength under control. So it means you can be a strong, powerful woman, but you need to get control of it because we don't want to be overbearing on our husband. And and really, the family order should be the husband being the head of the household under God. And and that's a whole other teaching. But, but if we will learn to be meek, getting our strength under control so that God can work a miracle in our life, so important, and self-control, just having self-control, you know, not letting our mouth get ahead of us. As women, we speak a whole lot more words per day than men do, and we've got to learn to shut our mouths and have self-control. That one just keeps coming up. We've got two minutes left, so we're going to just go ahead and combine these last two, number seven and number eight. Choose to be a winner and trust your Abba Father Daddy. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, I have set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. God tells us to choose life. We have to choose to be a winner. You know, um, everything is a choice. God gives us a choice about being saved or not being saved. He gives gives us a choice about decisions we make, the small and the big in our marriage. And so choose life. What is the best choice for the whole of your family, not as not what is the choice that you want to make for the flesh, but what is the best choice? Because as a father, your daddy loves you. He loves you. And, you know, if our earthly fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our heavenly father give to them that ask? So choose to be a winner and just say, Lord, I will not let go until you bless me. I know you're for my marriage. I know you're my daddy, my Abba father. And I know you have good gifts and good plans for us. And I trust you in that. And so, you know, there's there's so much more that I could say about these uh, action steps. But the book uh, does take you on a journey through my story and uh, and uh, explains these action steps a little bit more in detail. But um, I think this will get your whistle wet and help you to understand how to really be the victor and not the victim in your marital situation. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Deborah, for being here today. And uh, people can check you out. You actually have a show, uh, Choose Life Radio, and then your website is DebraRossMinistries.org. You guys can click it right there on the Wife SOS page and get over to her and find her on Facebook and Twitter too. 
Deborah, a uh, parting thought. Do you have like a do you have a verse that you'd like to share with us? Maybe your life verse or some a verse that maybe was really meaningful to you as you went through your journey. Yeah. Okay. I guess Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things mm-hmm. not seen. And and you're going to come across naysayers, right, left, up, down, sideways. There's going to be people who are doubters, people who are not going to be able to see what you can see. But you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And I am living in evidence of my faith that was my marriage was upside down for 18 years. It was very rocky. And if you get the book, you'll hear all the details. I mean, when people say you don't understand, trust me, I understand. I've been there. Right. But I'm living in the evidence today because God is there, is there is so much hope in God. Thank you so much, Deborah, for being here. Thank you, Marnie. And you guys, we're going to take a little break and uh, give away a couple of Deborah's books here. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. During this next section, we have a wonderful opportunity to meet two singing sisters, Alyssa and Becca. And I call them the Sunflowers Girls because their website is Sunflowers with a Z at the end, sunflowers.com. Alyssa and Becca Leander began writing songs and performing for their church youth group and local coffee shops in their hometown of Colorado Springs in 1999. Their dad was a musician and songwriter, and he was really the inspiration behind their music at an early age. But as you fast forward 15 years now, countless concerts, six albums, touring with Lifeways You and Your Girl conferences, and also receiving two GMA awards and the duel. Now they find themselves married, coming full circle with hearts focused on ministering to future wives or young women, as we would call them. They've written a 30-day devotional book entitled Made to Shine, which was inspired by conversations with teens and named after a song written for a victim of bullying. The duo is currently embarking on a ministry-focused tour of made-to-shine events for girls ages 10 to 18 and for their moms. And we so welcome you here today. Welcome, Becca. Thank you. Great to be with you, Marnie. And welcome, Alyssa. Hi. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, awesome to have you both. And Alyssa, you are about to have a baby when we're pre-recording this because we aren't sure you'll be available on on, uh, Expo Day. So congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, my husband and I, we're really excited. It's our first and it's a little boy. That's so fantastic. And you actually got married, Becca and Alyssa, to your husbands on the same day. We did. It shows that sisters can get along um, enough to share a wedding day. And it was a really fun experience the whole way. Even planning the wedding was fun to do it with your sister and um, and just seeing all those family members coming from um, England. We have family in England, and they would they were coming for this big event. And, um, yeah, it's a really special thing that, that we have in common, and we share our anniversaries. And um, it's been four years now. So, yeah, time flies. Oh, that's so beautiful. And congratulations about that. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Now, a lot of the gals who are listening today, a lot of you wives out there, you have daughters. And you are trying, uh, you know, you're here today because you're really committed to your marriage and you really want to make it the best marriage it can possibly be as far as your side goes of things. And Becca and Alyssa, you're here today because you work with girls who are going to grow up and most likely be wives. And one of the things I was thinking before we started talking is that no one, no one ever goes into marriage thinking, gee, I really hope this doesn't work. I hope I get miserable (laughs) and have just a lousy time. You know, we all just want it to be wonderful and want it to be everything that God created it to be. But a lot of that stems from who we are coming in. When I think of you two sharing a wedding day and all the decisions that you had to agree upon as sisters to make that happen and both of you be happy, there was a whole lot of shared effort there as well as flexibility, humility, giving in to each other. And that's really the foundation of a good marriage. I want to kind of even track that even before you get that far, though, to the identity that you guys are so clear about who you are that you're really able to give that much, give that much about your wedding day and continue to give that much in your marriages. So maybe, Alyssa, let's start with you. Um, What did your parents do or what do you think it was that caused you to have such a clear identity of who you are in Christ? 
definitely. It's such a great question. I think that that wedding day marks, you know, and uh, something that kind of accumulated through the years where Becca and I spent a lot of time together realizing that we are very different people. <laughs> and my parents, um, you know, when we were very young, my parents did a lot of ministry. They weren't on staff at a church, but I remember um, there were nights where they would have the neighbors over and praying with them. Um, my dad, of course, like you mentioned, would pick up the guitar and lead small group worship. And it was just amazing. Becca and I were little tiny kids in the back playing with other little kids. But uh, we were just kind of in kind of watching what my parents were doing. And that made such an impact on me um, that they were real with their faith, they were authentic. And it, they weren't just Sunday morning Christians. And something really sparked in my heart at an early age um, that faith and identity in Christ and knowing who you are um, with a purpose in Christ um, is about your whole life. And so um, from that really sparked something in me. And I know Becca can probably attest to that. But we also were a praying family. And I remember um, even on vacation, there's a funny moment where we were um, – driving through California, and my dad looks down and sees that we have no gas in the car, and we're driving through the desert, um, Mojave Desert, I believe, and we all just start praying that God would get us to the gas station, and um, little things like that when you're on a journey as um, a married couple or a family, and you just invite God in to those everyday moments, and you really see Him at work, and that empowered us and impacted us early on. Mm. Yeah, Becca, do you have anything to add there? I think Alyssa, when she mentioned identity, um, that was such a big thing for me growing up, kind of asking those questions of, of what's my purpose in life? And I was so grateful that my parents really encouraged us to um, to know who God is for ourselves and to know our own identity. And now being married four years, um, it's no matter our age, it's one of those issues that has to be settled. And, you know, the truth is in our marriages um, that knowing our identity will, will cause our marriages to thrive. And um, and so it's something that no, no matter your age, um, it's something that you want to have settled in your heart, um, your God-given identity. And um, sometimes at a young age, uh, as women, we're kind of tossed by um, these ideas of who we are and and um, and sometimes even looking at our moms, um, they're not always the shining examples, but we can be, as, as older women, we can really um, shine so that the younger women see um, how to thrive and how to know who you are in Christ. Right, because nobody can be perfect, but we can walk out. Yeah. We can walk out as far as we are right now mm-hmm. on the journey, um, pointing directions to Christ. Good. But one of the things that, you know, most women deal with is um, self-esteem issues of how we look, how we look compared to other people, maybe how we look compared to how we want to look. Have you guys had, like, are you guys okay with yourselves? Do you you talk to girls about that topic? Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, It's a a big issue, self-image and beauty, and we're often asked, you know, what's the um, what's the way that as a mom or as a wife I can help um, either my daughter or um, other women see beauty through God's eyes? And it really starts with us um, seeing that for ourselves. And, you know, more than hearing um, speeches on beauty, it's about living that out and what that looks like. Um, and and so I think that's a really big 
big topic for um, for all of us to to value our own unique traits. Um, I'm I'm kind of um, a little taller than most women, and I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I was shorter. I could wear more heels, and you know that seems kind of kind of a silly thing. But learning to value our own unique traits, um, other girls will see that, other women will see that, and um, that's just a way we can shine. We can um, we can learn to to thank God for the differences that we have, and um, yeah. Yeah, and even practically, um, you can go into the mirror and say, you know, God, I thank you for my hips. <laughs> I thank you for the hair you gave me and 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 the uniqueness of it. And um, I remember growing up, I have really straight hair. This is Alyssa. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have curly hair like my sister? <laughs> but um, honestly, when we look at what God has done in our lives, see the uniqueness and how... Um, you know, we're put on this earth to do something for him that only we can do. And if we were like everyone else, that would that would defeat his purpose. So um, really just coming against that comparison um, that we all kind of want to compare ourselves to the culture or our friends or our, our sisters even, our sisters in Christ, when we just say, you know, I'm deciding here, I'm drawing a line in the sand, I am not going to compare myself to anyone else because God put me on this earth as who I am for a reason. And when that becomes kind of our um, our drive in life, um, we start to see ourselves through Christ's eyes and his love for us. Um, so even looking in the mirror, that can be a practical thing you do every day. And thank God for something that you see um, in that mirror because he gave it to you uh, for a reason. Mm. And stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. And that, exactly. of course, just flows right into um, the marriage as well because we can always be looking at somebody else's husband or a single mm-hmm. person and say, oh, they would be so much better than my husband. But if we will focus on what we do have instead of what we don't have. So maybe, um, Alyssa, why don't you address that just in the relationship, being content with who you have. Mm-hmm, definitely. And knowing that God is at work within each one of us. We have, none of us have arrived um, at, you know, that perfect Christian <laughs> or, you know, the perfect shape. Um, but God is at work in our lives, and we can thank him, like you said, for what we do have. And when we start to look at the positive things, I believe it brings out just that trust in the Lord and that thankfulness um, that allows us to rejoice every day, like the Word says, you know, rejoice today. This is the day the Lord has made. And through the years, as you see God working, you see him moving, um, we can just look back and say, okay, I know you've done so much, God, and you will continue to make me into your image and make my husband into your image. Um, and together we can just honor you. And that um, that can be your prayer as we just call forth the good things in our husband and praise him for the things that, you know, he has, um, he has that are positive, um, it will raise him up to be that man of God that he needs to be. Mm. Becca? Yeah, and, and one thing Alyssa was talking about um, just really stuck out to me that, um, you know, is we're kind of the thankfulness, that idea of just being thankful. You know, there's so many reasons to be thankful. Um, and as we kind of see our own unique traits, um, I think it's our husbands that will see the the result of that will be we'll be more free as women we will be um, just more alive and more 
um, loving as women. And I think that is really what God has designed. Our marriages to thrive in that way. Um, and so I think, yeah, when you see how God has created it all, it just works so perfectly. And, and he's just inviting us to just respond um, to the way that he's designed us to live. Mm, beautiful. And I want to take you somewhere that we weren't thinking of going here before this interview, but I'd like to go here. I'd like you to think about this in two ways. First of all, currently, and then think back to when you were a teen. And now let's talk to the wives who are moms who are listening. <laughs> you know, when I was early married, I remember one day being so, so upset with my husband that I was upstairs in our little tiny shotgun house, they call them, them just a tiny house with two levels and uh, I was looking out the back window and he was working in the garage on a project and I was so so mad at him and I was making the bed and I remember shaking those sheets and I was committed to only one marriage for my life that was it I was going to get one chance I had to make this one work this was the only chance I got if I didn't make this one work that was it for me no more chances so that's how I viewed it and I was up there and I was shaking the sheets and I was saying I would rather with each shake of the sheets be single for the rest of my life than be married to this man for another day. (laughs) And you know, just those moments where you are completely, you know, you don't know what to do as a wife. You just feel like it's hopeless and... And maybe you haven't had any of those yet. I sure had a lot of them in my first year, especially with so hard for us because we're both so strong-willed. And uh, maybe mm-hmm. let's uh, let's start with Becca. Have you had a moment like that? And is your mom ever able to help you at all in moments where you don't know what to do as a wife? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're close to our mom, and she travels with us a lot. Um, She's kind of our road manager, and just as a close-knit family, you know, we can really share each other's um, burdens in a lot of ways. Um, And I think more than even talking to us about how to be um, a godly wife, I think just seeing her life um, Mm. and how she's lived out every day. Um, And so I I can relate, you know, being married four years, so it's, you know, there's ups and downs, and um, for sure I can even just remember, like, hard days thinking, like, what would my mom, what, how would she respond to this? Or, mm-hmm. um, And she was such a, she's such a praying woman that a lot of times I'm, like, responding um, just to my own emotions by just talking to God because maybe I've seen her do that. And so I, when I look back, I, I think it's just having her example and seeing how she's responded. Um has kind of influenced, yeah, those rough days when you're married and and um, in your in your mind and your emotions and your heart, you know, um, you're not necessarily thinking of the best, but you right. can you can respond in a different way than your emotions and um, and I think a lot of times just talking to God through it and just even that uh-huh. process, he he helps us kind of see his perspective a little bit more and. Um, and yeah, looking back, I think I think our mom has been a big influence in our marriages that way. Yeah. How about you, Alyssa? Anything coming to mind? Yeah, I definitely agree with Becca. Um, and you know, marriage is messy. You know, it takes a lot of working out, and that, as it says in the word, iron sharpens iron, <laughs> and it's a rough process sometimes. And um, sometimes it comes down to small things, and sometimes it's big things. Um, but watching mom, and I think Becca hit it on the a nail on the head, um, our mom just modeled that confidence and trust 
in Christ's love, and I know she looked to Christ more than anything, and that really shaped um, how we are in our marriages, Becca and I. And mm. looking, what's your mom? What's your mom's yeah. name? Her name is Thea. Spell that. T H E A. Thea. Thea. Well, we uh, yeah. as a as a mom of of young adults and a daughter who's getting married next Saturday, as we're recording this, um, you know, my heart just was longing, longing to be the kind of mom that would be a role model like your mom. Bring tears to my eyes because I think all of us listening, you know, even you guys, Alyssa, just having your first child, isn't it just a huge passion in your heart to raise them for Jesus and to just exactly. model Christ's love to our kids? You know, it's just huge. So, thinking back to your teen years, then, and maybe Alyssa, let's start with you. Was there anything that your mom did, or maybe can you think ahead to maybe when your kids used to be teens, anything that you would think that would be super helpful? To a young girl that would prepare her later for being a great wife? Definitely. I think from our mom, one thing that she did when we were teens is she was a great listening ear, and she wasn't always quick to have a solution, um, not always corrective, but saying, hey, so talk to me. Show me, tell me what's that on your heart. And um, she was very supportive and uh, really cheered us on in the things um, that we we found, obviously music um, I remember one time we were at um, a concert just about to go on and, and perform, and uh, I got a voicemail from Mom, and I remember she was um, just encouraging us on the phone. She said, girls, remember that you are a daughter of the king. And, of course, she has a British accent. So <laughs> she would just speak over us um, our, the reality of who we are in Christ. And I remember when she was on, she'd be on trips with us, and she had this piece of paper with um, scripture references on who we are in Christ, and she would read them to us, and we'd pray about them, and um, that was just a really cool practical way that she uh, would speak mm-hmm. uh, the reality of Christ's uh, love to us. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I really believe, I've always said that the two greatest gifts my parents gave me were, number one, introducing me to Jesus when I was little, <laughs> because I met him when I was four years old, and he's just been my life ever since then. And the second thing was really instilling in me a clear sense of that I was a unique creation in Christ, is that mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't have to be like everybody else. I can make my own choices with God and have the consequences and the benefits of those choices. And I, it sounds like your mom and dad really did that with you. Becca, what about for you? Yeah, I think um, I, I'm listening to Alyssa talk a lot about just mom, how she was a listening ear. And I think a lot of teen girls um, are just really looking for that listening ear. You know, if if they're going to open up and share some of their struggles with their mom, or um, if, if and which is so essential that they need somebody that we they, they can trust, um, is to just be um, someone who instead of being kind of quick to just say, oh, you should be more like this, or um, I think sometimes that causes them to hide more and to and to not think that they can trust their family. Um, and then another thing, I remember we just did a lot of just serving God together as a family. And um, each of us, you know, in a family, everyone has a different uh, personality. And so there's responsibilities that kind of go to different people to make the wheels turn. Um, and, you know, if, if young people find ownership in something that's happening, um, they'll really get on board with that and, and come together as a family and, uh 
And so we did a lot of that, and I think that really impacted us, just being involved together, doing things, and um, seeing God uh, use us in different ways. And that kind of sticks with you when you're a teenager. Um, And I think it does go into your marriage and your family later on, um, ending up doing things like that as well. Oh, so beautiful. Well, I'm just so grateful that you guys could be with us here today and so happy for you both on your marriages and Alyssa on your upcoming um, baby. And you'll just have to keep us keep us posted on Facebook about that. Uh, you guys yeah. listening, you can check out and learn more about them over at sunflowers.com. That's S-O-N-S-L-O-W-E-R-Z.com. Their book, Made to Shine, is available. And, of course, they have all kinds of great CDs most recently, Love Walked In, but also By Faith, Beautiful Miracle, All Over the World, Alive in You, and You Remain. Thanks, Becca. So happy that you could be here. Thanks. Great to be with you, Marnie. Appreciate your heart for women and and uh, so excited for all that you're doing. Thanks. And Alyssa, so happy for you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Marnie. God bless you. Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit Womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Christian Women's Events. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian Women's Events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or Type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info.
tired of scouring the internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more. All available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Your heart, the words resound in your head. 
WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Yeah. 